Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado Talks, your episode 32 of the podcast, and Happy New Year. I'm sure I'm the first person to wish you a Happy New Year. I'm glad I was there for you in your hour of need Now your year is set off in the right direction and we can get down to business, which is talking about board games. Okay, for the first time in a while, this is kind of feels like it's getting back to normal. I'm going to do a upcoming games of interest and then some top 10 revisit and then some questions and answers. And uh, if you hold on, we'll get right to it right after this. Okay, games of interest. Oh boy, folks. 2018. Uh, Looks like it's got a lot of great stuff coming. As of today, right now, my 2018 games of interest geek list has 101 entries in it. And now, I've already done a top 25 most anticipated games video. You can find that on my YouTube channel, like always, chances are you've probably already seen it. That is the first page. Page one of my 2018 Geek List is that. So I'm assuming you've already heard that, and if not, you can go check it out. Now I'm going to talk about the rest of the of this list, the other 76 titles that are of interest. Now, here's the thing, though. A lot of them I've already talked about in the past. There's only a handful of new ones, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to quickly go through the different categories that I have unofficially put my geek list in. By the way, if you don't know where this geek list is and you haven't actually heard my top 25 rundown of it, well, there'll be a link to all of that in the show notes of this podcast. But anyway... After page one, the top 25 most anticipated games, the next group of games on here are ones that I have talked about in previous podcasts. And in fact, for the most part, I just copy and pasted my old descriptions and put them back in. So I'll just mention them in passing now that, hey, 2018 has some interesting games that I've mentioned before. Arcology, Australia, Brazil, Chocolatiers, Clockwork Island, Element and Idols, Imperial Spell and Steam, Legacy Time Surge, Minds of Olnak... Reborn from Flames in the Seventh Cross. Uh, These are ones I've talked about in the past because I thought they were going to come out in 2017, and in some cases, 2016 or even 2015 or 2014. But whatevs. I'm not going to reiterate on those. Hopefully, this is the year they come out. Now, next up, there's a bunch of games that are coming this year that are basically reprints. In some cases, like 2.0 revampings. In some cases, just straight up, hey, this game hasn't been available for a while. You'll finally be able to get your hands on it. So, I think in every one of these cases, for every one of these games, almost every one of these games, I've already done run-throughs of them, so I don't need to spend much time talking about them, but I'll just list them really quickly. The games that, as of right now, I know are coming in 2018 that revisit or re-implement some already 
existing fantastic games. We're talking Brass Birmingham, which is basically the sequel to Brass. Carnival Zombie is going to get its second edition. Hooray! Claustrophobia, coming out of nowhere, is going to get a reprint revamp, uh, which is amazing. Cosmic Run Regeneration, a kind of a 2.0 of a neat little game, Cosmic Run. Uh, D-Day Dice, second edition. Now, this is interesting. Uh, This hasn't been announced anywhere else, but uh, Dungeon Twister, apparently, the designer is hoping to get a new... I guess third edition of it out that will in um, implement cooperative rules, which is amazing. Then you've got Endeavor: Age of Sail, which is the uh, the second edition of Endeavor. The it's really really cool. The developer, the, the designer of it, got the rights back from Z-Man and is finally publishing it himself the way he'd always hoped with new extra stuff. That's very, very cool. Finca, after being out of print forever, is finally going to be available again. Same thing for Glenn Moore. The Grizzled is going to get the Armistice edition, which is some kind of like big box version of it, I guess, with some new content. I'm not quite sure. Key Market has been impossible to get for a million years, and it's finally going to be available again. Same for Pillars of the Earth and the expansion for it. And so this is a big one. Shadowrun Crossfire, which is one of my favorite games of all time, is going to be getting a new second edition as well. And my understanding is they're probably going to be changing and tweaking uh, some of the core stuff. I would not be surprised at all if it was all in an effort to make the game a little bit more user-friendly and easier. Honestly, I don't know how I feel about that, but it'll definitely be worth checking out. Um, been waiting a while now for Thrashing Dice Assassin Edition, which is a reimplantation of Thrash and Roll. Thunderstone Quest, the third edition total reimagining of Thunderstone. Apparently, it will be available in 2018 as well. So, uh, that's some cool upcoming stuff. Were there any more? revamps. Um, Oh, yeah. And there's going to be a whole bunch more. Three more unlock games. I I would consider those revamps as well. The secret adventures are coming. And I'm sure there's going to be more Exit the Games and Deckscape games too. But, all right. So that's the revamps, re-editions, re-issues. Now, let's quickly run through all the games that are coming out this year that I've already done run-throughs for when they were on Kickstarter. This is the quickest, easiest uh, games of interest yet. I'm talking Barbarians the Invasion, Chronicles of Frost, City of Kings, Coin and Crown, Crusaders I Will Be Done, Detective City of Angels, Dice Hospital, Diceborn Heroes, Hardback, Helionox Deluxe Edition, Heroes Wanted, Elements of Danger Museum, Metal Dawn, Now Boarding, Wakshana Crafts of Culture, Obsession, Raiders of the North Sea, Hall of Heroes, and Fields of Fame, Roll to the Top Space Race, the Card Game Intercosmos, Steam Rollers, Tiny Epic Defenders, Dark Lord, Walking Dead, No Sanctuary, and Wrathborn Champions. <sighs> that was all basically one breath. That was hard. But um, I'm excited about all those. I mean, I've played them all. I think they're all great, and they're going to hit retail. Actually, not all of them will, but regardless, uh, they bear mentioning 2018, a lot of great games. Also, um, several very exciting expansions coming. Uh, the Seventh Continent. Uh, they, they had a big, big Kickstarter last year. I backed it to get the new What Goes Up Must Come Down. And I forget the name of the other one, but they a couple of new expansions for that. Very, very cool. Cannot wait for those to show up. And then if I go to the next page, we've also got uh, 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 the third and final expansion in the Eminent Domain expansion series called Oblivion. Who knew? I think I mentioned that before. But what I haven't mentioned before is King Domino, Age of Giants. That should be very, very cool. 
I guess that's what happens when you win the uh, Spiel des Jahres. You start getting expansions. Mystic Veil Conclave. I've enjoyed all the Mystic Veil that's coming out. I'm looking forward to more. Uh, Near and Far Amber Mines. I definitely backed that on Kickstarter as soon as I saw it because more Near and Far is a good thing. The Network's Executives finally will be uh, coming out, as will Railways of Nippon and Shadow Rift Skittering Darkness. Oh, this is a really big one. Um, the expansion for Targi which is my favorite two-player only game of all time. Expansion's been out in German for a while, but apparently it's finally going to come out in English this year. And an expansion for Thrash and Roll to Amplified. don't really know how that works with the whole Assassin Edition reprint. I'm not quite sure. It was supposed to all happen last year. Hopefully it'll happen this year. More Time Stories. Brotherhood of the Coast is coming. And Voyages of Marco Polo, Agents of Venice. Although, strictly speaking, that did ship in 2017, but only in the German version. The English version's coming out, so I'm just going to mention that in passing, too, because I'm excited about that. Okay, though. A lot of all that is stuff I've already talked about and in many cases run through in the past. Now, we are getting to the new stuff. New games that I have not talked about before... And that's what you're really here to see. That's what you're here to listen to, folks, right? Well, then, let's start with Castell from Renegade Games. This is a weird one. The subject matter is apparently this cotillion um, thing where they do human towers, where people stand on the shoulders of other people and try to make the tallest human tower possible. It's this big tradition they do um, in in, in uh, the Iberian Peninsula, I guess. I'm not really quite sure where. So... It's a weird uh, theme because apparently you're a team and you're traveling all over the place competing in lots of different um, events to do this strange pastime. But the, the reason it's on my list is because I was talking with the folks from Renegade and they told me, yeah, we didn't know going into it, but when we played this, it turned out to be one of the best games we've played in years. We were totally blown away by it and knew we had to publish it. So it's got this really funky, offbeat theme, but Renegade, who have been putting out uh, just a non-stop string of really smartly considered games, they rate it so highly, i got to check out Castell. Then, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Curio, the Lost Temple from WizKids, I believe. The thing is, you read the description of it, it sounds like it's another escape room in a box. Hey, we're trapped in a place. We only have a certain amount of time to solve all the puzzles and escape. Hooray! And there's a lot of those. We've been enjoying all of them. The thing about Curio is, apparently the puzzles are randomly generated by the system. So this is an escape room that you can escape from over and over and over again. I have no idea how that works. Maybe it'll be cool, maybe it won't, but I definitely want to check it out. I'm very, very interested in Curio, The Lost Temple. Then we've got Dark Souls, the card game. Dark Souls is this monster series of... a uh, big, huge hit on, uh, on video game consoles. Uh, it's a fantasy adventure that's known for being just really cruel and harsh and punishing and never... I mean, you know, and, and just you know, wiping players out and only masochistic fans of the game could actually even appreciate it because it's just so mean and nasty. So last year, a board game version of it came out that I guess borrowed some of those tropes and brought them over. The fact that in this game, you will die over and over again and that's kind of part of the experience. I have to it, I'm kind of intrigued by that, because I like a cooperative game that pushes us really hard. But the board game was not interesting, because it was just like standard, typical Ameritrash, tons of rolling dice, blah, blah, blah. But Dark Souls, the card game, should be coming out in 2018, and I'm very interested in that, because I don't think it has dice. I'm not really quite sure. I'm hoping that they do something a little bit more interesting with the gameplay while holding on to the true core nature of what makes Dark Souls so popular. If they do, I'm really keen to try it out. 
That's Dark Souls, the card game. Then we've got, oh, this one's crazy. I had no idea. This came out of left field for me. Gandhi, the decolonization of British India, 1917 to 1947. Now, this is the latest in a very popular line of war games called the coin system, which is short for counterinsurgency, cow in coin, coin games. Uh, you know, they, they, There's a bunch of them that come out in all kinds of time periods and locations around the world, and they're known for being having a lot of different asymmetrical sides of some kind of conflict, and everybody takes on a different role, and there's usually like um, you know established domineering power and insurgent powers. And so that's kind of like the theme. You know, there's ones in Cuba and Afghanistan, the American uh, War for Independence. I mean, tons and tons of different ones. I've never really been interested in them. Because I'm not interested in playing war games. But uh, last year, I found out apparently sometimes these things can be played cooperatively. And then I kind of got a little bit interested. But now that I've heard about Gandhi, I'm very interested. Because this is the first one in the series where you can win through peaceful resistance instead of outright warfare. There are now nonviolent factions. That's very cool. A war game where you win by actively not waging war. Uh, This I got to see. Gandhi decolonization of British India. Maybe it's going to be too complex and and, and for me, and I won't dig it because it's still got all the war game tropes that are going on. But I, I got to try it. I mean, that's just amazing. So anyway, then we got Good Dog, Bad Zombie, which I'm really I'm kind of going on a limb on this. This one could be crap, but the theme of it is so intriguing because this is yet another zombie apocalypse survival trying to you know get to the safe house and make sure the zombies don't wipe us out. But in this game, instead of humans, we're a pack of dogs trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. And we have access to all the types of abilities that a pack of dogs would have access to. Um, you know, our sense of smell, our, our desire to mark territory, and all these kind of things. And um, yeah, apparently we're, uh, uh, we're, we're still a friendly pack of dogs. We haven't gone wild or feral yet because we're still trying to save humans. Uh, so that, that's still that common zombie element as we work cooperatively. But, you know, the fact that we take on the role of, of pets, poodles and pit bulls and, and schnauzers and who knows what, trying to stay alive, um, you know, and, and defeat zombies using dog abilities instead of human abilities. My God, I have to try this. I'm sure. Uh, well, I, I, I hope. I am, you know, maybe it'll be crap. But, you know, again, the theme, this is so fresh and fun. I, and I, I don't have zombie fatigue. I still love zombie games. So something new and different? Yes, please. That's good dog, bad zombie. Then we've got King's Watch, which seems to be another in what has become. You know, over the last year or so, there's been a lot of these, hey, it's a mystery game where players work cooperatively to solve the case. I mean, this has been around forever since the mid-early 80s with the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective games. But recently, a whole bunch of them have come out. So this is another one. I don't know what it really does to set itself aside in terms of gameplay. But why I'm interested in it is because of the setting. This is not set in Victorian England like most of the Sherlock knockoffs or in modern day uh, world like heck, some of the games are in my top twenty-five for this year. This one is set in a fantasy universe where we are members of the King's Watch, trying to solve a crime that happened in our city. Um, I just love the change of setting, and I, I don't know. Maybe it'll play exactly like Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Who knows? But you know, just the fact that it's in, a, a, you know, I love high fantasy, so I'm really, really intrigued to check out King's Watch. 
Then we move on to Lucky's Misadventures, which is a deck builder, which looks really, really cool. First of all, I've looked at the art online, and it looks absolutely cool. It kind of looks like 50s, 60s era Disney animation, like, you know, 101 Dalmatians or The Rescuers. That kind, or, or The Jungle Book, looks really, really nice. You know, very bright, vibrant, cartoony art. But it's got this weird... It, it It's like it wants to be set in The Wizard of Oz, but they couldn't get the rights to The Wizard of Oz, so they made up their own variant version of The Wizard of Oz, which is weird, because I think The Wizard of Oz is actually public domain, so they could have set it in The Wizard of Oz. But anyway, me and my pet dog, Lucky, have found ourselves in this Oz-like, crazy universe, and we're trying to get back to our world. And it's a deck builder, where um, uh, basically, I think the longer we spend, the uh, you know the more resources we get in our deck, and there's a couple different ways to win. Either we find a way back home, or we find a way to rule this crazy alternate world. Um, what's most interesting to me about it, what really drew my attention, was the artwork. I have to admit, but um, there are that what's really very appealing to me is the fact that while it is a deck builder, every round, you know, I've got, I draw my five cards, you draw your five cards. I assume it's going to be a hand of five because that's the rule for deck builders. But instead of, oh, it's my turn. This is what I have in my hand. I'll play these cards and buy some more cards and all the normal stuff you do. Every round, everybody has their hand of five cards and they play three cards simultaneously. And then everybody reveals at the same time and you see how it all works out. I love simultaneous reveal. It made my top 10 favorite gameplay mechanisms of all time, back when I did that top 10 list. So, a mixture of um, deck building plus simultaneous reveal, that sounds very, very cool to me. So, I cannot wait to check that out. Alrighty, that's Lucky's Misadventure. And I just noticed the camera looks like its battery is about to go dead. So hold on, folks. We'll be back for a few more new games of interest in just a second. Phew, that was a close one. Nothing worse than talking for 20 minutes straight and then looking over and saying, Oh, none of it recorded. Great. But looks like everything's fine, so let's continue. After Lucky's Adventure, we've got Maiden's Quest and Palm Island. It's nice that these are both right next to each other in alphabetical order, because I'm attracted to both these games for the same reason. These are small, little, almost micro-game card games where you hold the entire game in your hands. You are not required to have a table to play stuff to. Uh, they both do it in different ways. After that, I don't know how Maiden's Quest work, but I do know how Palm Island works works. And Palm Island is basically a Euro-style resource goods conversion game where you are harvesting some goods and using them to upgrade buildings so that you can get more um, cards, so you can generate victory points and all that kind of stuff. You know, the kind of stuff, Jen, I absolutely love in regular traditional Euro games, all um, basically shrunk down into a deck of 17 cards then you can play the entire game basically in your hands while you're in a car or standing in line or something like that. It's absolutely amazing. Maiden's Quest is doing the same kind of thing. The whole game takes place in your hands and instead it is either you can play it competitively or cooperatively. Same for Palm Island. And you're a bunch of maidens who are sick and tired of waiting for Prince Charming to save them. They're going to save themselves. So good on you, girls. And I don't know how it works, that's interesting. I've done a run-through for a, a couple of years ago for another game that did this, Oddball Aeronauts. It was a game where, again, the whole game takes place in your hands, and that was a dueling game where players were fighting back and forth, you know, trying to shoot down each other's steampunk airships. So we liked it. 
But kind of in spite of the fact that it was a player versus player duel, I'm so excited about both Main Quest and Palm Island are doing something very, very different while still being a completely portable, play the whole thing in your hands kind of game. So I'm excited about both of those. Then we move on to Reavers of Midgard. And now this is a sequel to a game that came out a few years ago called Champions of Midgard. Now that's been turned out to be a hugely popular and successful Viking worker placement game where you're building up your resources so you can and um, send your ship across the sea to go fight big, scary monsters. And while I love the production of it, I thought it was a solid, well-designed game, it just wasn't for me and Jen because it featured too much dice rolling. So this is basically the sequel, and I, so I guess one way to look at it is, I think this is Champions of Midgard, the card game. And if it has the same, same rock-solid design chops, but maybe a little bit less reliability on roll and resolve... It could be a very, very interesting game for me and Jen. So I'm definitely interested in checking out Reavers of Midgard. Then we've got Rakeholt, which is a new game, a new Euro goods conversion um, plant growing game from designer Uwe Rosenberg and uh, you know Mr. Agricola himself. And here's the interesting thing about this: this is set in Iceland, and apparently. In the real modern world, one of the tourist attractions of Iceland, the things tourists go there to see, is the fact that the, the people of the Icelandians have found a way to use geothermal energy to run greenhouses and grow all kinds of fruit and vegetables that have no right surviving in that kind of you know harsh northern frigid environment. And yet the, they've used this geothermal energy to you know, grow fruit and veg. That's amazing. That's fantastic. You know, it's great. They're so, um, you know, self-sufficient that way. So apparently, Uwe Rosenberg heard about this and thought, well, that's so cool. I'm going to make a whole game out of it. And not just the whole converting geothermal energy into, um, you know, plants and, you know, you know, fruit and veg I can grow, but he's also emulating the tourist part because we're trying to do this and doing it in time with tourist season so we can make the most tourism bucks, which is crazy. Um, I'm really keen on checking this out because Uwe Rosenberg is a brilliant designer and, you know, not all of his designs work for me and Jen, but I'm definitely keen on seeing what Reykholt, R-E-Y-K-H-O-L-T, is all about. Then we move on to Safe House, another cooperative zombie apocalypse game. And I'm sorry, folks, this time we're not playing as some other animal. We're back to playing as humans. But this is real time, it's cooperative, and it's trying to save people from the zombie apocalypse. Main reason I'm keen on this is from designer David Short. His last game, well, his last two games were fantastic. The most recent game was Automobiles, a really, really excellent um, racing-themed bag builder. But before that, he brought us Bomb Squad, which is an amazing real-time cooperative uh, game where players are trying to stop bombs from blowing up. So if that was really great, I've got, and it was, I've got high, high hopes for Safe House being really, really great too. And again, in part because I love zombies. I love zombie fiction. I have no zombie fatigue here. So I'm definitely keen on checking out Safe House. Then we move on to Seize the Bean, which is interesting. I have to admit, I originally completely passed over this. this uh, they were demoing it at Essen Spiel back in October. I saw it and I'd heard some good things about it, but I figured, hey, you know what? I just have no interest in the theme of this game, which is basically running a coffee shop, being a barista, 
trying to um, you know, make the best coffee in the city of Berlin to get a lot of repeat customers. It's a deck builder. The whole notion is as you serve your customers, your, you know, they become repeat customers. They go into your deck, so they'll keep coming back. And you have an idea of, oh, they're going to come back. I, may, I have to make sure I'm ready to make the right type of coffee. The, the core idea sounds really cool. I totally dig it. But yeah, it's just... I mean, I don't know, Jen and I, we both hate coffee. We hate the smell of coffee. I was just kind of turned off by it. But I heard so many good things about it from people who played it at Essen that when I was there, on the last day, I went over and I checked it out, and I talked to the guys, and I said, wow, this does sound like really, really smart gameplay. I do have to check it out. And it's going to be coming on Kickstarter, and I believe they're going to be sending me a prototype of it, so I'll be able to play it a little bit more. But yeah, um, it, this got a lot of really great buzz, a lot of good word of mouth, and I'm very, very keen, in spite of the theme of checking out Seize the Bean. Then we've got Tiny Epic Beep. I cannot say. At this point, I, it's really interesting. I don't know if Gameland Games, you know, the publisher of the Tiny Epic series, you got your Tiny Epic Kingdoms and Defenders and Tiny Epic Galaxies and Tiny Epic Western and um, am I thinking of all of them? There's a few, I, I might have missed a few. All the Tiny Epic games. I've, I've covered them all. There's a new Tiny Epic game coming in 2018. I actually got to play a prototype of it at uh, Essen. I think it might be his biggest hit yet. Uh, it was really very well designed, once again, by by Scott Alms. I can't say what it is, but I'm so glad I got to play it. I've got the prototype now. I'm definitely going to be filming a run-through for it. And so I thought about not putting it on the list because it's not announced. I think he might not even announce what it is until the Kickstarter starts, so I can't say anything about it. But I will say it's coming soon. There is more Tiny Epic coming, folks, and I'm excited for it. So look for it in 2018. But one more. The last game I'm going to talk about in this, other than the top 25, which are worth mentioning. Again, did I mention you can go watch the run-through for it? Links are in the show notes for this podcast. But the last game of interest that I know of today for 2018 is um, Vidoran Gardens. And now this is from designer Frank West. And last year, I did a run-through of a game of his when it was on Kickstarter called City of Kings. And that was a really brilliant, high-fantasy, save-the-kingdom, cooperative puzzle of a game that really did things very, very differently. The puzzle aspect of that game was through the roof, and Jen and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So much so, it distracted us from Gloomhaven for a while, which is really saying something. Well, anyway, Frank is revisiting that same fantasy universe that he's created with this game, where it's no longer cooperative, it's a competitive game, and I guess it's a tile-laying game, where we're trying to build up the, the Vidoran Gardens where monks go to and seek enlightenment. Um, but apparently, what they're doing is they build up these gardens. Is They are tending the garden, you know, keeping the plants and the animals alive. And so there's a big focus on, taking, on protecting and taking care of plants and animals while seeking monk-style enlightenment. Considering how good the gameplay was in City of Kings, and considering how much I think Jen is going to love the thematic aspect of this, Vidoran Gardens is a very, very high game of interest. This one just barely missed making my top 25 most anticipated games of the year. I was, it, was, it was right up there, you know, jockeying for you know, Space 24 and 25. Ultimately, the other ones, which again, you can see in my um, other video, made it. But still, I'm very, very stoked to learn more about Vidoran Gardens. And that's it, folks. Now, of course, this is just the tip of the iceberg. At the beginning of the year, I mean, I, my geek list here has 101 games and expansions I'm excited about. But you know what? Chances are, my, my most anticipated games of the year, I'm not going to know about them 
till June or July. But still, 101, very interesting and enticing games to me. A lot of them I played, a lot of them I haven't. It looks like 2018 is going to be another fantastic year for games. But you know what? Enough about that. Let's move on to the uh, next section, the next segment, Top 10 Revisits. Hold on, everybody. Okay, list, list, list time. So I think I got four to go over, in addition, of course, to the most anticipated of 2018, but we've already done that part. So um, what else have I recently listed? Well, the top 10 of 2017, and what were the other ones? The top 10 games I'm not going to play, top 10, or run, run through, top 10 games that, oh, uh, Gateway Part 2 and Next Steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well... Well, first of all, let's just start with the uh, top 10 of 2017. Like I said in that video, it's preliminary. You got to come back in April when I will have had a few more months to get through that big, gigantic mountain of games that I'm looking at right now, which just seems unclimbable. But um, in spite of that, people kept asking, what about X? What about Y? What about Z? And well... I I do actually have a list of, it looks like, 18 titles that I think have a chance of making it. And so I figured I'd just uh, run through them really quick um, from least likely to make it onto the list to most likely. So um, we got Queen Domino, Dragon Holt, Karuba the Card Game, the Gaia Project, Guilds, Paper Tales, My Story, Gentas. Agra, Riverboat, Anachrony, The Sanctuary, Hunt for the Ring, Lisboa, Spirit Island, Pandemic Rising Tide, Too Many Bones, and Legends of Andor, Last Hope. So, I, you know, if I get a copy of Legends of Andor, Last Hope, you know, unless it really surprises me, I can't imagine that won't make it onto the list. I keep hearing from so many people that Too Many Bones is absolutely amazing and I've got to try it. And, oh, Spirit Island, I do actually have a copy of that, just haven't played it yet. Uh, fingers are crossed. I, I suspect it's got a really good shot. And, uh, you know, same for Anachrony. Actually, so many people ask me about Anachrony. The problem is, folks, they never sent me a retail copy, so I've only ever played the prototype. Now, I have heard from them they are going to send me a retail copy, and if it shows up here in the next few months and I get a chance to play it, I'll reevaluate it. But as it is, those are the ones that might still make it. Um, Let's see. Yeah, I I think that's all we need to go over there. I mean, again, we'll be revisiting this in more detail in April. Probably in April, what the heck, I'll do a top 50 of the year or something like that, depending on how ambitious I'm feeling at that particular point. But uh, anyway, so that was just a little bit more. Sorry, I'm not going to go deep into any of those, but I haven't played them. Anyway, though. Bridesmaids, or actually, I was originally going to call it Bridesmaids, the uh, games I'm not going to play, because originally the the voters chose a topic that was, how did I word it? Something like games that I, <clears throat> games that I 
am sad, never will make a top 10. They're bridesmaids, never brides. I mean, I keep thinking about to put them on various top 10s and they never make it. That was the original intent, but when I started actually trying to make that list, it was really tough to do because I could imagine a top 10 list for almost every game. Uh, it's just a matter of the right top 10 being chosen by the voters. And the more I thought about it, I thought it would be more useful to take that opportunity to talk about games that I'll probably never get a shot to run through. And so that's when I switched it over. Now, if you've watched that top 10, you know why I'm likely never to do run-throughs of these games. But, um, you know, that, that, that is what it is. Now, I only talked about 10. There are a bunch more. And while I could list them all, it's just as easy for you folks, if you're curious, to go to http colon slash slash bot dot rado dot com b-o-u-g-h-t dot rado dot com that is a list of every game in my collection that I have personally bought or or at the very least did not come from publishers they were not submitted for review I mean sometimes I get them in trades or other things but uh, bot dot rado dot com gives you a list of everything I've got that I could run through but that will probably not happen because of overall prioritization again like I talked about in the video so if you want to see even more games that I've got that I'll probably never cover for you. Go to bot.rado.com. So that's kind of a... All right, so far, this is not a particularly exciting um, revisit of topics, is it? Seeing as how I'm just breaking hearts left and right. But okay, let's talk about the gateway. And uh, right, I mean, there were a million and a half games I could have talked about. I mean, I'm looking at the, the final list of 10 I did, and then I've got, geez, just another bajillion beyond that. So what were the what were some of the other ones I was thinking about? Um, Adventureland, very very uh, interesting. I just wasn't sure how widely available it was, and um, you know, and and it is kind of a, a fantasy setting, which isn't always necessarily as attractive to people. And um, yeah, I mean, Jen, I really like it, but it just didn't quite make it. Fugitive, I thought very very long and hard. I almost made the list, um, but. I kept it off because it's a two-player-only game. It's such a brilliant, wonderful, gorgeous, cool little compact two-player-only. One person is the fugitive. The other person is the marshal trying to hunt them down. So brilliant. But again, I I wanted to make sure everything I talked about in the gateway was readily available or soon to be readily available. I, I, I guess I didn't quite make that clear enough in the video as well. There were a handful of games that aren't available. You can't go on Amazon or wherever right now and order them because they're in the middle of reprints, but they all those games should be available now or will be available within the next couple of months, the ones that were on my list. Anyway, though, let's see what else. Oh, Karuba, I thought long and hard about, but I decided against it because I already had an Avenue, so I didn't feel like I needed to have two bingo games. Same for Dingo's Dream, another bingo-style game. Oh, uh, Honshu. Man, Jen loves that game so much. But I mean, I'm a little bit less keen on it. Uh, although it's a, it is a really nice trick-taking alternative. But also, I think it's really not as great with two. But uh, it warranted consideration. I also thought long and hard about the Grizzled. But in the end... Again, I mean, one of my main... Um, metrics I used well, you know, one of the to decide whether it should make the list is I imagine Jen's parents, uh, um, Ed and Nancy Bump in Arizona, getting the copy of this game and then trying to figure it out themselves. And at the end of the day, I don't think Grizzled quite works for that uh, because you know it's it, mostly because it's so iconic. It's all icon driven instead of word driven. Actually, that's not true. There's a lot of words in there too. It just 
I mean, I love it. I do think it's a wonderful game, but it, it just didn't quite make the cut. Harry uh, Potter Hogwarts Battle, man, I felt really bad not being able to put it because this is almost like the perfect gateway because it starts out as a deck builder that's simpler than Dominion, but the more you play it, the more things slowly layer in as you go through Harry Potter book after book after book or movie after movie after movie in the storyline in this big campaign. And that's so brilliant. And of course, Harry Potter is beloved by so many. But in the end, I just couldn't do it in good conscience because like I talked about in my run-through, as great as it is, by the time you've unlocked everything, the game is just too burdensome and unwieldy and kind of unbalanced. And it really needed another... I mean, if they could ever fix some of the issues with it, it would be maybe one of the ultimate gateways of all time. But as it is, I just couldn't recommend it. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, I mentioned in the video, I had originally recorded one, but then I realized, oh, I can't put that in, so I, I slipped something else in. I don't remember what now. Uh, everybody asked, well, what was the game you left out? It was K2, which is a stunningly brilliant gateway. Absolutely love it. I've had such good success um, introducing so many people to board games with that wonderful little mountain climbing race card game. But unfortunately, it's been out of print forever. And if, if you don't want to pay 150 or 200 bucks, you're not going to get it. And so I just couldn't leave it on the list, which is so heartbreaking. It so deserves to be in more homes. It's such a perfect gateway, um, while still being a really great gamer game, too. Uh, kind of the epitome of what I was trying to do with this list. But anyway, then moving on, Hanabi, a really good candidate. In all honesty, Thinking about it now, I'm sure I had a reason at the time. I can't think now, why didn't I put Hanabi on the list? Such a no-brainer. Maybe because it's so abstract. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Because I was trying to make sure I picked games that had enough theme to kind of pull you in. There's a lot of really <clears throat> wonderful abstract or semi-abstract games out there. Hanabi, it just, you know... I, I think it was a little bit too abstract to just be kind of off-putting, and I was trying to hedge my bets as much as possible. So that's why it didn't make the list. Tale of Pirates, brand new, very fun, cooperative, real-time game. Worker placement with hourglasses, really great table presence, um, apps, the whole nine yard, a lot of really wonderful stuff. Ultimately, I decided against it for no really good reason. Uh, it's because it requires an app to be able to play the game, and... Again, I'm trying to be as gateway-ish as possible. And while I think digital implementation into analog games is a great thing, is an exciting thing, there are going to be some people who are turned off, so I figured, why take the chance? Plus, it can be a daunting experience. I mean, it's daunting just to open the box up and put that whole thing together. So, I, I, I again, just barely missed the list. Let's see. Oh, Garden Dice is another one. Like K2 would have totally made the list. It's a Perfect, near-perfect gateway game. Really sweet, charming, warm, inviting, lovely presentation of a very evocative theme. Really great gameplay. And what's best about it is um, variants built in so that you can play a friendly or a really kind of cutthroat version of the game. Really sharp, wonderful player interaction. But again, just completely fallen off the earth. Needs another reprint or it would have made the list easily. Uh, and I also thought about Magic Maze. But, yeah, it works, and it's particularly nice in that, you know, the game walks you through a story campaign that slowly introduces more and more and more concepts. So it's definitely a worthy candidate, but I was still just kind of worried that for your first thing you ever, other than Monopoly, trying to learn it by yourself, um, a whole bunch of total novice noobs, 
you know, the fact that it's real time and you can't talk to each other and you can't help each other. I mean, you literally aren't allowed to talk in that game. It just seemed like without an actual gamer there, it, it might, it just might be a little bit tricky. Uh, and then oh, I also thought about uh, Cubist. Um, which is really, really nice. I think I'm just not sure if that one's widely available anymore, but it's a, a sweet, sweet, great little dice game. Yeah, some nice teeth to it. That would have been a good one. And, um, oh, oh, oh. Oh, uh, you know, Castles of Burgundy, the dice game. Just because I love Castles of Burgundy. And the last gateway, I did put Roll Through the Ages on, but you know what? Roll Through the Ages is still readily available. And I don't know, maybe Castles of Burgundy, does it ask too much? Could it be a straight gateway? The book is really short, but I have seen some people complain or ask questions. Um, so yeah, I, I just you know I was happy with the ten, but those were some other ones. I was I was definitely oh in New York nineteen oh one. I totally forgot a beautiful, lovely area control game. Um, would you call it? That's also a really great contender. Just miss a list as well. So anyway, those are some alternate gateways. If I ever do a gateway three. Um, video in a few years. Maybe some of those will make it on the list too. But uh, the other topic of the month was the next steps. And what was interesting is for almost every one of those... Actually, well, first of all, I had to think, how am I going to do this? My original thought was I was going to do a next step based off my first gateway list. I said, hey, if you watched my original gateway and you've played some of those and you're thinking about what's next, well, let's go. But then I realized, oh, wait, some of those games aren't gettable anymore. They were on my original gateway. And then, boom, the voters asked for a second gateway. And I'm like, okay, should this tie into the first gateway list or the second gateway list? Hmm. Then I thought, forget either of my lists. I mean, because who actually listened to my list? Um, but chances chances are probably greater that um, people have probably used one of the bog standard gateways into modern designer board gaming. The ones that everybody complained I didn't include on my original gateway list. Where's your ticket to rides? Where's your Carcassones? And where's your Catans? I'm like... Why do you want to have me do a, a top 10 gateway list that's exactly like every other top 10 gateway game list on the market? It drove me nuts when people kept um, you know, calling me out for not including the proper gateway games. So anyway, I figured, okay, you know what? I'll rectify that now because I'll pick the 10 most uh, popular, most likely to be a gateway game for people list, and then I'll do next steps off of those. I was pretty pleased with myself. Like I said in the video, I didn't really have any kind of concrete numbers. I don't have the connections that Tom Vassell does where you can actually get real sales numbers of how things go. But I, I figured it was pretty good. And the interesting thing was, <clears throat> for every single one of those 10 games, I had an alternate that I was thinking instead of... And I, and I kept going back and forth between the two. So now, I will tell you what the alternates were. Um, you know, In the same basic order, starting with Sushi Go, instead of Between Two Cities... For the longest time, I was going to go with Capital, which is absolutely phenomenal. And in fact, I think arguably is maybe the better next step because Between Two Cities really does take it up a notch from Sushi Go, whereas Capital is a nice is a is a nicer progression. I mean, the same thing is true for both. I really wanted to have players gateway out of Sushi Go into another drafting game that did something other, something different than Sushi Go. A lot of people responded, why didn't you go with Seven Wonders? I'm like, because Seven Wonders is just Sushi Go on steroids. It's, that's, that's, that's not going to show you something new. It's just going to show you something more. And maybe that's a reasonable next step. Although, in all honesty, I don't think Seven Wonders is a good next step anyway. Uh, too many icons in that game. Too daunting. Plus, 
Um, but if you want to play it two-player, it gets a little bit more complex. So Ultimate went between two cities, which, I mean, to be fair, if you want to play that one two-player, it gets more complex as well. But, I mean, I'm just so in love with how cool that game is. A completely new way to interact with the people around the table. I just did not want to miss a chance at, um, you know, if you're making a next step and you really want to, uh, you know, show something that board games do really well that you're not going to find in any other form of entertainment between two cities was was a no-brainer. But like I said, Capital, such a brilliant, wonderful drafting tile uh, game. I almost went with it. Then, off of Splendor, I ultimately went with San Juan, but I seriously considered London, especially now that the second edition has just come out and it's so nicely done. <clears throat> because my, my point was, okay, well, Splendor is a really great, simple introduction to engine building. Let's show you a different way to build engines with cards. That was kind of my thinking. Obviously, San Juan does that. It's uh, you, you build up your little uh, um, uh, town? Is it whatever whatever your, your your tableau of cards that you keep running over and over again to to generate more and more stuff? London works really great too. I mean, there's a lot of overlap between these two games, but ultimately, I thought London was maybe just a little bit too much of a jump, whereas San Juan was a kind of a more natural progression. But man, I love London so much, and it would have been a, a good option as well. Then Love Letter. This one I probably got the most pushback on because I went with Biblios, <clears throat> and I get it. It was kind of a it's a bit of a jump, but it made sense to me. The other one I thought seriously about, and I probably would have gone with, except again, it's a two-player only game, is Fugitive. That is such a brilliant, lovely little micro game um, with, with you trying to get into the head of your opponent, which is basically what Love Letter is all about. Uh, it would have been perfect, except again, it was only two-player, and I was trying to keep the two-to-four range active with all of these. Then, um, off of Stone Age or Lords of Waterdeep, you know, hey, you've been introduced to worker placement. Where should you go next? I went with Fresco, because Jen, I love it so much. And actually, somebody pointed out, I should have mentioned, uh, the Fresco Big Box Edition, which, of course, is an, I, if I'd thought of that, I, I mean, it's even more of a no-brainer, because you buy the big box, and not only do you have a really great next step, but you've got a next step that can keep growing and growing and growing as you turn on more and more modules from all the expansions with the big box, which is brilliant. But um, along the same lines, I almost recommended Charterstone, which is interesting in that it starts out, you know, it's a, it's a legacy city building worker placement game, and it starts out almost lighter than uh, deep uh, water deep or stone age but very very quickly as more and more things gets unlocked and you get to build your city right in front of you it becomes a very rich and interesting little worker placement game in the end i decide against that because again the two player is good but not great i mean uh, charterstone is definitely better with more players no two ways about it uh, the 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 otamas are really nicely done. And it's interesting, Fresco, my other option, has a uh, an Otama of sorts, has a little AI dummy player, you know, the, the Leonardo character. But I think the Leonardo character is a little bit less to bite off. I don't know, maybe I should have gone with Charterstone. I don't know. It just seemed like... Well, the other thing, too, as a next step, Charterstone is a real investment in time. You've got to be confident going in that you're going to like it because I mean, because you really want to be able to play it all the way through with the same people. That just seemed like maybe it was a little bit too much to ask of a player's tra- you know, buying their second game after they started with Lords of Waterdeep. So Fresco, I'm still happy with, but I really thought long and hard about Charterstone. 
Although, man, there are so many options in the next step worker placement genre. It's, but again, I was trying to think of really, really interesting ones that would really surprise players and not just do more of the same, um, which I don't think Fresco and Charterstone, those are both really stand out. But continuing on, of course, what do you follow up Dominion with as a next step? I went with Race for Eldorado because I wanted there still to be a deck builder. There are so many deck builders I could have mentioned. Uh, a lot of people mentioned, you know, Thunder stone or ascension or um but i really wanted to go with one that added a board and while i could have said trains because that is literally dominion with a board i wanted to do a little bit more and race for eldorado is so cool it is such a brilliant design i mean reiner canizia so knocked it out of the park it's a really great gateway or gateway plus type game and if you started with dominion i mean you, you'll be able to pick up a race for Eldorado with no problems at all and really be impressed by it. But I almost went absolutely insane and instead recommended Orléans, which is just crazy. I'm, I'm, I, I, oh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, just, just madness to even suggest such a thing. But, you know, hey, you've done a deck builder. Let's just jump right to a bag builder. Nope, it's crazy, but I still want to do it anyway because... I mean, again, this list is all about really opening people's eyes and not giving them more of the same. And Orléans would definitely do that. And I think if you if you can handle Dominion, you can handle Orléans, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I'm still happy with Race for Eldorado. Uh, several people suggested Legendary, and to be honest, that would have been a really good suggestion too. I I didn't even think of Legendary, but I might have seriously considered it if it, if it had occurred to me. Then, oh, you know what? Okay, so another one that I got a lot of pushback on, people said, what? Really? Was following King of Tokyo with Escape, Curse of the Temple. But again, you got to understand where I'm coming from. I'm just trying to take a kernel of what was there. Uh, King of Tokyo is a very fun, interactive, almost party atmosphere-ish style dice chucking game where you roll special icon covered dice over and over and over again to achieve a goal. And I said, well, hey, okay, let's do that. But let's, instead of players tearing each other apart and um, trying to destroy each other, let's have them work together. And so I went with Escape. Now, I know Escape can be a dangerous next step because it's real time. And so that makes it very, very daunting and challenging for new players who don't have somebody there to walk them through. Um, because well, I mean, because you're under so much pressure, you don't have time to actually stop and ask questions about rules and stuff like that. So maybe it was a bit iffy. but And maybe I should have gone with my other choice. My other main choice was Tiny Epic Galaxies, which again like I said right up front, is a game where you're rolling and re-rolling and re-rolling lots of specialty dice. And I mean, I like that too. I, I think the, the weight wouldn't be too much. I think it would be a reasonable next step. And I liked it because, well, hey, the first one, you know, King of Tokyo or King of New York is kind of a science fiction kaiju monsters destroying the world. Let's go with another science fiction game, Tiny Epic Galaxies. Um, but again, let's try to do one where players are doing something very, very different with those dice. Building something, a, a, a galactic civilization, instead of destroying things. I think either way works the same. I ultimately went with Escape. Maybe I was wrong, but, uh, I mean, both excellent next steps, I think, from King of Tokyo. Tokyo, uh, that would hopefully capture the imagination in the same way because they're they're big, larger than life, um, you know, adventure type things. You know, exploring outer space, escaping from an Indiana Jones style tomb, or fighting Godzilla. Anyway, 
Next up, there um, Settlers of Catan, or just Catan, I suppose. I went with Valeria Card Kingdom, and I still think that makes sense because um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, Catan players rolling those dice to harvest resources, and everybody hoping for a good result from that same roll is so key to Catan. I know when you think of Catan, probably the first thing you think of is, oh, building the roads and the map and all of that stuff. But it's not the first thing I think of. The first thing I think of is those dice. Um, you, know, you know, if a seven comes up, it has a special meaning and all of that sort of thing. And so that's what I honed in on, which is why I went Valeria Card Kingdoms, um, it, which just works so much. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's you know, it's that same thing, that same driving engine, but with an entirely different wrapper around it. Instead of a Hexbapes map and, um, you know, and uh, all that stuff, you're building a kingdom, but in a completely different way, with a lot more variability, too. I'm still pleased with my choice. Some people thought it was a little bit off. Some people said I should have gone with Machi Koro. I'm like, bah, Machi Koro? No! Valeria Card Kingdom, uh, definitely. But my other option I almost went with was Kingdom Builder. And I'm really keen on that too, because that's focusing on the other aspect of Catan, the map that um, you know players put a lot of little wooden pieces on and claim more and more and more and more of it. And you know it jettisons that really simple central mechanism, that conceit of hey, every we just roll some die and see what we harvest. In this one, you just draw a card and do what it says. A really simple kernel of action, but um, that drives. Uh, you know, a, a, a you know a, a world of of uh, colonization. I think Kingdom Builder would have worked too, but I was just too keen on Valeria. In all honesty, because I just love that alternate use for the dice. Then we've got Pandemic. Oh, this was another one. Some people said I was absolutely insane for Big Book of Madness. Like I said, I was really really keen on letting people cooperate, but in a radically different way. Because if you love Pandemic, you clearly want to cooperate, and so. While there's a million and a half pandemic-inspired games I could have mentioned, again, I really wanted to show them something else. So that's why I went with Big Book of Madness. But my alternate was absolutely insane and just like, flies in the face of what I just said. I almost went with Islebound, which right off the bat is a competitive game. It is not a cooperative game at all. But the nice thing is it's a, a gentle competitive game. And to me... Even though they're very, very different, you know, they both have a map. They both have a sense of adventure and travel to them as you move around this world, and you spend a lot of time zipping all over the place very, very quickly and interacting with different things in the world. Uh, in Pandemic, you know, it's it's a set collection hand management thing. In Islebound, it's a resource collecting. Uh, uh, civilization building game, um, but with adventure elements and some worker place—not worker placement, but like a crew building stuff. There's a lot of stuff that goes on, and while it's a very, very different game, I thought it would be really great. Okay, look, you enjoyed traveling all around this big blue board. Let's give you a different big blue board to travel around. You're not cooperating this time, but you're you're competing, but you're not actually trying to destroy each other. You still have interaction. If you want to come to my port that I own, you've got to pay me money, all these kinds of little uh, bits and pieces. I think it would work. I think it would definitely be worth a try, and it definitely fulfills my whole, hey, let's uh, give them something different. Maybe uh, it was crazy. Heck, maybe those were both crazy, and I should have just gone with Dead Men Tell No Tales or something like that. But like I said, I, I had different goals in mind, so you can be the judge. Uh, then we've got Carcassonne, Isle of Sky. Most people seemed very, very pleased with that. 
I certainly am. But I could have just as easily gone with Quadropolis, which is another tile-laying game. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Just absolutely bonkers, amazing gameplay mechanism. It's a little bit more far removed in terms of how the uh, you grab the tiles and how you play the tiles and whatnot. And um, you know, maybe there's a little bit more bookkeeping because there's all the different ways to score all the different types of buildings. But you know what? Carcassonne has that too, really. So I mean, Quadropolis would have been a good one. Plus, it's so gorgeous, so fast, has nice little variant ways to play. Uh, in the end, I still think... I'm still ple- I'm still confident Isle of Sky was the better choice just because of the introduction of, yeah, you're building tiles, but you're setting prices for those tiles, and that's so cool. But Quadropolis would have been a good one also. And then finally, the number one, I believe, most commonly used gateway ticket to ride, I suggested Suburbia. And I still think that makes sense. Um, you know, the, the really about the only commonality between the two is the fact that there is a display of cards or in suburbia's uh, case tiles and you're taking taking cards or tiles from them to use to your own benefit and and they both have a real world setting so maybe it was a tenuous connection between the two but I do still think it is an excellent excellent next step uh, suburbia, Introduces enough additional complexity and more stuff to think about, more of an economy. Um, but while still, I, I think it would it would still tickle the same, um, you know, t- t- tickle the same funny bone that Ticket to Ride does. But I think some people would have been more pleased if I'd gone with my other choice via Nebula, which is basically. A, uh, a simplified gateway-fied version of Railways of the World from Martin Wallace. Um, so it is another game where you are route building on a map, um, but not just to get points and do you know rummy-style you know card hand management like Ticket to Ride, um, but instead you're building all these routes to actually be able to transport goods around so you can build things up, um, you know, and, and complete objectives and stuff like that. An excellent option. Maybe I should have gone with it. Maybe. Maybe I'll stop second-guessing myself, and you folks can tell me if I'm right or wrong. But uh, that was it. Just a little bit of a follow-up. And now, folks, what you've all been waiting for, hold on. We'll be right back with Jen for some questions and answers. everybody and now it's time for the monthly questions and answers i am on the couch joined once again by jen and the puppies and two small beagles well one beagle and one meagle which is what we call our little beagle mutt uh daisy and they're asleep so hopefully they won't be causing too much trouble as we do our best to fill you in on whatever it is that you need to know so let's get going. As always, first of all, there will be game-specific related stuff, and that, which will probably mostly be me. Maybe Jen will chime in a little bit, and then we'll move on to the personal stuff, which I'll try and turn the tables and have her do all the answers. <laughs> Phew. All righty. So, for starters, Tyler has questions about dungeon pets, mm. or more to the point, dungeon pets light. 
I said he really enjoyed the run-through of Dungeon Pets that I did, which was a weird one, actually, but that's neither here nor there. Although it struck him as a little too heavy for him and his game group, and he was wondering if there's anything out there that's like a light version of Dungeon Pets that we enjoy. And he asks, uh, have we played Dinosaur Island, and would that fit the bill as a Dungeon Pets light? We have played Dungeon... Dinosaur Island, and I'll be doing a run-through for that in January, this month, so you'll be seeing that soon, and I can honestly say, no, I don't think that's a Dungeon Pets light. Yes, it is a game where you do worker placement, and you are concerned with the well-being, sort of, of animals, but in all honesty, I don't know, I can't think of anything that's really like Dungeon Pets. At all. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, there are other worker placement games out there where you do you know, secret worker assignment and then reveal. I mean, the most obvious parallel to that would be Fresco, which is a very, which is a similar but different system where everybody chooses what their workers are going to do and then, surprise, here's what I'm doing, what you're doing. And heck, we love Fresco. Love it. But I can't imagine that's what you are referring to, Tyler. You're talking about the care and feeding and um, all of that for a little animal. And while, you know, there's tons of games that have animals in them. I mean, Agricola. You take care of a whole bunch of animals in that game. But it's not the same. I mean, Dungeon Pets is more almost like a Tamagotchi. And um, you remember the, I don't remember, honey, when we were in high school or maybe grade school. No, we had, those were in high school. Maybe even college when Tamagotchis were out. Those little eggs that people would carry around. It was like a little digital animal mm-hmm. and they'd have to feed it and water it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there must be games like that. But generally, when animals are in a game, they're just kind of abstracted into this, oh, yeah, it's an animal, and you have to make sure you have enough food for them every round so that they'll breed or whatever. Or you I eat mean, them every round. Yeah, dungeon pets, your animals have, your, your, your pets have personalities, mm-hmm. and you try to anticipate what you think it is they're going to do, and they surprise you with their needs, and um, there's just nothing out there quite like it at all I can think of. And heck, I mean, maybe there is, and we just don't know what it is, but really, you're going to be much better off Tyler, getting an answer to this by going on to BoardGameGeek and asking. In fact, if you go to faq.rotto.com, check out entry number... Oh, where is it? It's number... Uh, question number... Two, three, no, seven, no, 14. That's not helping. Oh, 21. Uh, uh, yeah, number five. Five. faq.rotto.com, question number five. The, the answer to that is a link <laughs> to a place where you'll get much better answers to your question than I or Jen could give off the top of our heads. So, sorry I couldn't help you more, Tyler, but thanks for asking. Okay, and moving on... It looks like Dylan actually sent us three emails. I don't know if these are going to be duplicates or not, but let's see. The first one is Essen questions, which is he's a little late to the party because that was over two months ago now when he sent he sent this in late November. Okay, Honey Pie, Dylan wants to know if we have any memorable standout moments at Essen. Um, <laughs> and uh, what did we do for food? What did we enjoy? Were there any surprise games, travel hiccups? Do we get any gaming in? What do we do at night? And then he adds, by the way, I'm listening to this month's podcast today, so pardon any redundancy. Because, yes, I mean, some of this stuff was covered in the last podcast. Because I remember we had a lot of Essen questions there, too. Um, standout moments at Essen, I don't know. It's two months later. It was pretty oh, by the book. Yeah, 
was lovely. Yeah, but I mean, there's nothing like, oh my God, wow, this super, changes the game. I mean, there's, there's it was nothing. super duper hot the first day. Yeah, somehow, because, yeah. I don't know what they had. But we talked about that in the last. I can't think it. I don't think there's anything we didn't talk about in the last, which Dylan is now long ago heard. Okay. I don't think we talked much about food. I have to admit, I don't eat at all. Well, um, I try to eat a really big breakfast and a really yeah. big dinner, and I just don't eat at all during the day because uh, I'm just too busy moving, moving on to the next thing, trying to get to my next meeting. Oh, uh, they do have the potatoes on a stick. They have the potatoes on a stick, but, I mean, it's like a half an hour wait to get those. Yeah, the crazy. line, no matter what time of day, it's always terrible. So there's no real time to get those, yeah, those potato spirals dipped in paprika spices, which oh, those are awesome. We love them, but we just can't wait in line for it. And there's a nice ice... My throat gets so sore that I will sometimes just get some ice cream on the go. If there's not a big line and I walk by it, it's in hall three. But that's about it, really. And I don't think you eat anything either, right? Other uh, than, I mean, I think you had some fruit that you kept at the stand or something like that. Yeah. So that was about it. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, no real surprise games that I recall. Travel hiccups, yes, but the less said about that, the better. Long story short, we are never flying Air Malta again, ever. They really screwed us over. Yep. Um, they, I hope they're enjoying the last 800 euros they'll ever see from, from us. us. <laughs> yeah, because they, they, yeah, they, ah, uh, yep. don't even want to go. But yeah, so yes, big travel hiccups. Ugh. And um, no, not really. No gaming. Generally, don't go there to game. Just go there to get games. Jen goes there to sell glass. And what do we do in the night besides rest? More rest. Well, we, we tend don't... to have a nice meal with Karthik and yeah. Emma. So, yeah, we maybe go out and have dinner. But we generally don't play games in the evening. We don't watch no. TV. We're just exhausted. We, we just exhausted. go We go to sleep early and <laughs> then go the next day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's always all kinds of parties I'm invited to and events and stuff like that. We just skip on all of them because neither Jen nor I are particularly party people. And we're just too exhausted after a day at the show regardless. Let's see. Then Dylan has another email where he said are there any people in particular that you really look forward to seeing every year at Essen and then maybe getting together for dinner or something oh. well it's Karthik and and uh, and Shreema uh, the people we stay with I mean there are two of our favorite people in the world they're we just so love nice. them to death yeah they're great uh, I mean it's worth going just to hang out with them I mean in all honesty I'd rather <laughs> hang out with them than go to the convention <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, and you love hanging out with Leva yep. and the fine folks in SKN, um, you know, Jen loves hanging out with them. They always give her booth space. They're it's great nice. seeing, um, Iracles and Anina, and Anina yep. from Ludi Creations. Uh, I like, I mean, gosh, there's, there's tons of people. I mean, this year I hung out with, uh, Travis Chance and Isaac Childress. I hung out with the Dice Tower guys for a little bit. Uh, always, always nice seeing Michael Coe from Game of Games. Uh, oh, I was really surprised. I mean, there's a bunch of people. I, you know, I hate doing a list like this all the time I have because I know I'll forget some people and I don't want to insult anybody. I mean, it's nice seeing everybody, but in terms of people we actually look forward to seeing, I mean, it's nice seeing all of them, but... I mean, people I'm genuinely excited to hang out with. It's going to be Karthik and Trima. I mean, they are, they are just two of the best, nicest people I've ever known. And after the convention's over, we get to spend a couple of days with them just kind of hanging out and yeah. decompressing and playing games and stuff. So that's yeah. always really fun. But like, I th I'm pretty sure we talked about that in the last podcast as well. So we're just repeating ourselves. Oh, okay. Hopefully Dylan will have a new question in his third email he has sent. Uh, by the way, if anybody has any questions, send them to questions at rotto.com, and we'll get them in the next uh, podcast. But anyway, 
Any possibility of doing a regular Google Hangout as a live show with questions and answers, uh, first impressions and whatnot, kind of like what the Dice Tower does? Eh, not really. I've thought about doing it. I, I certainly could, but I, I kind of do that already. I mean, this is a monthly questions and answer. I mean, we generally spend an hour or so every month doing this. And on top of that, every other month we do a live playthrough, although over the course of a year it's every other month. That's not really the case. We mm. tend to do it for a few months and then we take a few months off while it gets dark in the evenings and then we start doing it again next year. Yeah. But at the end of those live playthroughs that we have to do bi-monthly because it was one of my stretch goals, we do Q&As then. And I figure that's enough. And I mean, you know, the, the thing is, I answer probably 20 or 30 questions every day. Uh, because I make it my mission in life. If anybody asks a question on YouTube or on Board Game Geek or on Facebook or on Twitter, used to be Reddit, but I've sworn off Reddit. Um, you know, I, I, I'm constantly answering questions. So, I mean, it's it's not hard to get answers for me. I don't think I need to, on top of that, do a weekly. Hey, everybody, let's do a live Q and A session. I think I'm already doing enough. I think. Surely, people must run out of questions sooner or later. Speaking of, let's move on to Jeffrey, who noticed I had Raid of Taioku. Um, let's see, from uh, some Taiwanese designers. Have I ever considered doing a top 10 games from emerging board game scenes? The focus would be on games by designers from countries that aren't traditional board game powerhouses. It'd be interesting to learn what's going beyond traditional Euro-American games. I, I suppose that'd be cool, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting... I have certainly noticed repeatedly over and over and over again, and I would certainly say this is true for Rated Taioku as well, Asian-designed games generally, not always, but generally seem to have a poor level of attention devoted to the two-player aspect often. In fact, most often. It, uh, they don't support two players at all. It's rare to get two-player games out of Japan or Taiwan or Korea or whatever. I assume that must be some sort of representation of cultural differences in terms of expectations of what board games offer, but they just, they, they just don't seem to have the same focus on two-player couples-style gaming. That was really... I mean, Rated Taioku is an amazing game, but it really wants to have more than two to be at its best. And I'll eventually talk about that when I do a run-through for it once it gets enough votes. Um, so, yeah... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm sure a good video could be made there, but probably not by me because it would require a lot more research and interviews and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's not really. I'm not really feeling it, Jeffrey. Sorry to say. Let's see here. And yeah, I mean, and then uh, Jeffrey goes on to talk about you know the shifting cultural norms in Taiwan about the uh, cultural perspective of being an enemy of the states and all of that and you know being able to talk about that openly that you know the you know rated taioku is a game and again it's an amazing cooperative game i wish the voters would choose it so i could do a run through of it but regardless uh he, he talks about how you know shifting cultural norms made that game possible and i'm like yes you're right that's amazing but that's probably a bit deeper than my typical top 10 surface. Hey, let me think of 10 games and talk about them for 20 or 30 minutes. So I don't know that I could really do that topic justice, Jeffrey. Sorry. But I do think it's worthwhile and somebody should spend the proper amount of time to dig deep and, and um, come up with stuff like that. Moving on. Let's see here. Steven says he has two questions. Is there a game or games that are generally outside of what you would want to play but that you want to play? Maybe just once for the experience. Thanks. 
So Stephen, first of all, that's one question. That is not two questions. Although he did say a game or games. So I guess... <laughs> okay, first of all, is there a game? And then second of all, are there games? Answer to both is yes. I, I can't really think of any off the top of my head. But yeah, there's a handful of games out there that I'd like to try sometime. I mean, uh, certain types of party games. Like, uh, oh, uh, at Essen, we got together with some friends of Karthik uh, after the show, and we played, uh, we played not Secret Hitler, because they had rethemed it to be Secret Voldemort, uh, which was a much more, uh, uh, much more approachable theme for Jen. Yeah. And I'd wanted to play Secret Hitler uh, or Secret Voldemort for a while, so I was glad to experience that. Even though, God, Jen hated it. She hated it so much. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I got it now. I don't think I want to play it again because it's just not my kind of game. And we also played uh, Captain Sonar with them, which we learned never play <laughs> an eight-player game of Captain Sonar where six people have played it tons of times and know it like the back of their hand and two people have never played it before or anything like it. Don't do that because it won't go very well. <laughs> At least not for the two people the who have no team. idea what they're doing. Yeah. At least split up the noobs. Again, it's been so long. I think this is all stuff we talked about last month. So sorry, folks, if I'm repeating myself. Uh, but yeah, so there's a few games out there, but they're few and far between. And I almost always find, after I finally get a chance to play them, they're like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm still happy just playing games with Jen at home. <laughs> um, uh, two-player gaming is the best. It just is. Uh, you know, no offense to you know, it's fine to play games four or five player, and I definitely enjoy that. But I always enjoy playing games just with Jen. Let's see here. And in spite of the fact that he said he had two questions, he didn't have his. He didn't forgot to ask your second one. Send it to questions, Arado, Shane, not Shane, Stephen, and we'll answer it next month. Your other question. But in the meantime, let's go to Robert, who. Says thanks. Thinks Jen and I seem like nice people. Aww. We've got them fooled, honey pie. <laughs> See, my last podcast I mentioned uh, what I would talk to Uwe Rosenberg about if I ever met him in person. And when, I don't remember what I said, but he mentioned that when I said that, he was surprised that I don't know Uwe Rosenberg. And, you know, seeing as I'm one of the biggest reviewers out there, surely I would have a relationship with him. I don't think so. I don't think I've ever met him. I've, I've seen him, but no, I don't think I've ever said word one. I, 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 maybe, but anyway. Uh, so I think I know from your other podcasts that uh, you do know a few game developers personally, but generally, how is your relationship with big and small designers? Uh, and is there extra feedback you're giving them as part of, apart from your run-throughs? Uh, is it more that publishers you're in contact with and not the individual designers? Um, and you know, right. So yeah, it's interesting. I actually, I, it's kind of weird. I, I know a lot of board game reviewers like me do develop relationships with board game developers. I actively kind of try not to do that. Uh, I kind of try to keep a firewall up because I eventually do have to review their games and it's, um, you know, uh, it makes it maybe a little bit more uncomfortable if I was close personal friends with them and stuff like that. It's a bit easier if if I'm not. Plus, I don't know, I just have this kind of standing thing from having worked in the video game industry for so long that there's just kind of like a certain level of journalistic ethics 
where you're, you're not supposed to be best buds with the people whose stuff you're reviewing. And that's not to say, I mean, there's a lot of people I do know and I really like. I mean, heck, I just mentioned a few of them. Like, uh, you know, Travis and, um, and Michael and, you know, so, you know, there are a handful of developers, but it's, it's definitely not something I seek out. And, I, yeah, I give tons of feedback on um, games when I'm doing their Kickstarters, and I, sometimes it's directly to the designers because they're a designer slash publisher. Sometimes it's a publisher, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm really not a very social animal. I don't have a lot of friends in general, and uh, yeah, I, I don't seek out in my day to day life a lot of social connections. Jen pretty much uh, ticks all my boxes in terms of, uh, you know, you know. Uh, you know, keeping my life full and rich in terms of social aspects. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of weird that way. I know some folks. I think they're nice. I enjoy chatting with them. But I, you know, I, it's it's definitely a thing. I, I try not to develop too close an attachment. And maybe I'm silly, but that's just kind of the way I roll. Uh, for the same reason, I don't expect you know accept money for doing the videos I do, or any of that, or you know, even when they're Kickstarter videos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But anyway. Let's see. Thanks again for doing what you're doing. At the same time, I hope you'll be able to... Right, okay. Moving on from Robert to Tara. Tara, honey pie, wants to know, how do I teach board games to Jen, especially the complex ones? What is my method for teaching games uh, to people? And at the same time, what is the method for teaching games to people who I don't play with as often, seeing as how Jen and I play together so much, we probably have shortcuts and, um, you know, shorthand for certain things. Mm-hmm. Hey, Honey Pie, how do I teach you games? Seems like we've <laughs> talked about this, haven't we? I think this has been on a recent podcast, or maybe it has. Maybe it was on a, a live q and I don't, I don't really teach Jen any differently than I do anybody else. I mean, do I do it differently with you than when other people are over? I don't think so. Nope. I mean, you'd be in a position... I mean, there have been plenty of times when I yeah. taught you and other people at the same time. Yeah. I don't no. think anything changes. No. I'm just really lucky. I mean, it's similar to how you teach it when you start a run-through. Well, yeah. I mean, the main thing... Uh, the number one thing I do... And I'm sure I've talked about this in the past. So, in a nutshell, is I always try to couch everything in thematic terms. I always try to... I don't try to explain what the rules are. I try to explain who we are in the simulation and what we're doing and why. Because if you have that in your mind that, oh, I'm a merchant or I'm a mercenary or whatever it might be, merchants and mercenaries, um, once you have that mindset, the rules almost always kind of flow naturally from that. And it's easier to learn and understand how the various restrictions and everything you have to deal with kind of work together. So I always try to focus from that point of view. Even when the rules themselves don't, I will often say, "Why? Well, it's like, you know, when you go to the market, this is what happens? Well, here's how that works in game. I always try to draw back parallels to the real world so it's easier. Because that's how I think in terms of games, too. I think in terms of everything thematically. Nothing drives me more nuts when some, than when somebody's trying to teach me a game and they just um, dutifully tell me, here's all the rules, here's all the restrictions. And I'm constantly interrupting them, driving them nuts, saying, yeah, but why? What, what, what does this chip, the, when I have this chip, what does it mean? You know, in, in real world terms, or in the, in the fantasy terms, or the science fiction terms of this scenario, what does this piece of cardboard represent? Tell me that first. Then tell me what the rules are about this. Because I'll understand, I'll be, I'll be able to 
internalize those rules better if I have a thematic understanding of the underpinnings of the game. That's what my focus always is. Uh, sometimes it's hard, but heck, I mean, go and watch my run-through of... What's an abstract game I did recently? Um, Azul. Azul is a pure abstract ceramic tile laying game. And if you watch anybody else's video, they're just going to explain it in raw terms of here's where you can place these tiles. Um, when you under these circumstances, these tiles move over here and here. That's not how I describe it. Watch how I describe it. I ended up having to come up with a lot of thematic trappings for the game that the developers couldn't be bothered with, talking about how their shops and their streets and all these kind of things. If you watch that, that should give you an idea of how I teach games. I come if, if the game doesn't do it, I come up with thematic under, uh, underpinnings of how everything works. Because then, once somebody understands, they can visualize where they are, they can visualize what they're doing, the rules just make sense. They just fall into place really easily. So that's how I do it. And moving on to Rachel, would like to know, did we select a winner for the Henry uh, Table Path to Play charity? Yes, we did. I did a video for it a while ago. Yep. Just do a search for Rado Table Giveaway or something like that. You'll find it. Did we autograph the table? No, we didn't. We had every intention to. But then the guy who picked it up, he kind of showed up suddenly, and we weren't sure if we were supposed to, and so we didn't then. And then I was going to rendezvous with them at Essen and said, hey, do you want me to still do it? And they said, oh, don't worry about it. I'm like, okay. So we never did. I still stand at the ready to do it somehow. <laughs> I forget who won it, if they won, but it didn't oh. get... I mean, we'll send you an autograph if you like. Um, sorry. that Yeah, that didn't happen. I had every intention to, but it just kind of fell between the cracks. Let's see. Honey, uh, did we celebrate Thanksgiving? No, while living we overseas. We no. haven't celebrated Thanksgiving for years. Well, I was in England this year. You were in England, but if you'd been here, I don't think. Well, I usually try and do a nice meal, the Thanksgiving kind of meal, as opposed to our normal, just sort of... Yeah, but I mean, not in the way where no, it's like don't. a big, ginormous five, and it's like it takes all day, and it's just, you, tr you try to make a, a nicer, a more, a more themed meal. Yeah. You always make nice food. You just try to ensure there's turkey in it, if you can. Yeah. Which is not always possible. Uh, when you're living overseas. Let's see. And wait a minute. How is that a game-related question? Oh, wait, oh, no, whoops. That was a personal question. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> I, I, I missed that. She has another personal question. We'll come back to that later. Ignore the personal questions when it comes to games. Let's move on to Jordan, who definitely has a game-related question. Let's see. It was following up from the last podcast when we talked about the Trois rating, uh, even though we haven't played it in years. Do you think the fact that some of the older games in your collection do not get played contributes to their high rating? If some of the older titles have continued to play, do you think they might suffer as not only your taste change, but you are less forgiving on mistakes or inadequacies in games? Have you put them on the so-called pedestal not to be brought down? That's certainly a possibility. Honestly, I don't think that's the case because what I have always found about myself is the more I play a game, the more it tends to rise in the rankings... Um, so I guess, yeah, what you're describing could potentially be the case, but not because the more I would play them, the more they would get pulled down. But the newer games that we've played, we only get to play, you know, two or three times and then never play it again. If we played it five or six times, it might have a chance to climb its way higher. But, um, no, I mean, there are definitely, we have had some changes over the years in terms of what we find palatable. 
Yeah. We used to be much more amenable to direct conflict than we are. Every passing year, we find ourselves less and less amenable to that. And games that I remember, yeah, we didn't really mind the fighting in this game so much when we played it six years ago. Oh, we kind of mind it now. So that's changed. But that isn't a reflection of the quality of the game. It's just a reflection of our changing tastes. I wouldn't knock a game down in terms of its subjective, you know, the merits of its design just because, you know, our tastes change. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible. But it is, it is the way it is. I mean, that said, the thing is, I remember how to play all these games. And I remember what it's like to play all these games. And every time I rate a new game, I, you know, I don't just blithely say, ah, oh, you know, eh, it feels kind of like this. I rate it next to everything else. Every time I rate a new game, I compare it to Tra. And I compare it to Dungeon Pets, and I compare it to Agricola. I just basically go to the top of my list and just start saying, okay, is this better than this? No. This, no. This, no. And I just go until, oh, it's, it's number 57. Um, and so I'm constantly revisiting all these games in my mind and reevaluating them compared to new games that come in. So what you're suggesting might be happening, although in a slightly different way than you thought, but I can't really be sure. Let's see. After a subsequent play of a game, do you ever update its ranking on your personal ranking system? Or uh, once a game is ranked, it stays... Uh, no. Well, um, no, I mean, if you, if, if you go to rank.rado.com, you can see how I've got ranked everything, and it'll show you the date that I've ranked things. And if you notice, I mean, there's a lot of games that I'm constantly changing the rankings on, moving them up or down a couple, because, like I said, every time I play a new game like... Oh, what did we? What did I recently rank? Um, Otis. That will prompt me to reevaluate everything, and um, I might start thinking, "Hey, you know, wait a minute, that doesn't really feel right. I think this game is better than that. I think maybe I got hung up between these other ones." I'm shifting that stuff all the time, even he's, if I'm not playing it. And he's always asking me, "Do you like this one or that one?" And Jen's always saying, "I don't know." Oh gosh, how can you possibly compare that to this? It's they're like uh, it's a, apples it's a and huge waste of my brain. I am totally aware of that. No, it's not a I waste could... of your brain. It's incredible that you can. No, that. I should be doing better stuff with that. <laughs> with, with the cognitive power I've got, other than just cataloging a bunch of relative merits of subjective opinions of design <laughs> decisions on a bunch of pieces of cardboard. <laughs> I should be curing cancer is what I'm saying. Okay. Although I'm not well, saying that. Yeah. Let's see here. <laughs> Good question, though. Thomas, moving along, would like to know... Seeing as how he just heard about Aeon's End Legacy. And you know he's excited about it. And he wonders. <clears throat> as a quick spoiler. Oh no, he's telling me about it. Yeah, uh, you know, Thomas, I already know all about Aeon's End Legacy. Right? Yeah, I've known about this for months. Let's see. All right, so what, if any, would be... All right. Great to see a volunteer play test. Opening up surprise packages. Twisting. What are your thoughts on the concept of Legacy Deck Builder? Okay, yeah, yeah. What are my thoughts on the concept of Legacy Deck Builder? I think it's amazing. Would you like to see some kind of difficulty scaling? How do you imagine this new Aeon's experience? I don't know. I, I look forward to finding out. I tend not to... I'm the type of person that doesn't really dwell on stuff I'm excited about. I like to be as surprised as much as possible. I don't watch very many movie trailers. Um, if I, you know, I, I, I tried to avoid knowing anything and everything about Pandemic Legacy 2. I'm going to try and avoid uh, knowing most everything about Aeon's End Legacy. I think there's a million different ways that you could do a Legacy deck builder, and I can't wait to see what they do, and it'll just be one of many things, and I hope other people uh, follow suit. So, sorry, 
my thoughts of a legacy deck builder, I think, are amazing. I can't wait to see what they come up with. Because, particularly because Aeon's End is so amazing to begin with. Daniel wonders, do I have any updated thoughts on Gloomhaven? And same for you, Honey Pie. Mm. How many times do we play it per month, if any? Uh, how did you like the classes you unlocked? I found some of them to be subpar and boring, while others were good, some even excellent. <laughs> Still haven't seen three of the classes in action after 60-plus plays. Oh my Dude, goodness. I don't know how you're doing that. We've played... I don't know. I, I, if you go back and watch, I did a, run, a top 10 earlier, top 10 games I played the most, and I talked about how many times I played uh, Gloomhaven. And we've played it probably a half a dozen times since I did that video. I, it's like 50, we played it 50 or 60 times, and I think we've seen five classes. Well, we've each had three characters. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So six classes? Yeah. So I don't know how you've seen them all. I guess you're working much harder to try and retire them. Well, or maybe he's not retiring. Maybe he's just saying, oh, I played that for a couple turns, now I'm just going to make a new one. And he's not actually yeah. retiring. He's just burning through them all. Yeah, we're, we're not switching characters until we retire them. And to be fair, the first two characters, I didn't want to retire. I, I yeah, we artificially... Yeah, Jen, Jen forced us to keep them around much longer than she yeah. should have. And I, you know, I, yeah, I talked about that in the past. Um, so... But no, yeah, so we've each we played six characters total. We thought they were all awesome. Jen had a really hard time with, I'll just call her the summoner character. Um, and, you know, and Jen, it was no fault of the summoner character. Jen's just like, okay, yeah, this is too foreign to me. I can't get my head around how to leverage this character correctly. So we got her retired super <laughs> double quick. Uh, we bent over backwards to get her retired very, very quickly so Jen can move on to the next one. But no, we, we've loved them all. Um, we've played it well over 100 hours now. Again, if you go and watch that top 10 most played games of all time, Gloomhaven is our most played game of all time. We haven't tired of it. We were playing it two or three times a week for probably four or five months yeah. straight. Yep. But then Jen went off to England in summer, and when we came back, I was drowning in a bunch of new games I had to cover, and we haven't really been playing it regularly since then, which is very sad. We'd like to get back to it, because we've still got about two-thirds of the way to go to finish through the main storyline. But uh, all the characters, what have we played? We played. We, have, we have played all of the starting characters. Um, have we? But yeah, because we've played, we've played with, we, we, we played ah. that, we've played that first adventure three or four times. Yeah. Because I keep teaching other people how to play the game. Yeah, and so every time we do that, I, hey, I'm going to play it with this new character because I want to see how they work. Yeah. And we, we enjoyed all of the starting characters and all of the characters we've unlocked. I won't say other than the fact that Jin kind of. <laughs> Stumbled a bit with the summoner. Oopsie. And again, I mean, I think I would have enjoyed the summoner a lot more because I really leveraged the summoning power of the of the mind thief. Yep. Um, but anyway, so moving on. And wait, wait, wait. Did Daniel have anything else? No. Andrew wants to know if we've ever seen changes or improvements uh, to that I've recommended in my final thoughts making the games. Yeah, that happens all the time. If so, have there been any that I'm particularly proud of? Somebody else asked me that not too long ago, and the first one that popped into my head was the very significant changes that were made to the two-player rules for Islebound. So I will go for that. Um, let's see. Actually, what did we just play the other day that they put in the Rado variant? The Rado variant. They, they, and they just literally, they, in the rule book. oh, it's Treasure Mountain. They just put it right there in the rule rulebook, uh, the quote Rado end quote variant. <laughs> and then they say, for people who don't like a lot of random variants and luck of the roll... Maybe try this variant. And they just named it after me. So, yeah, that happens a lot. Let's see here. Kathleen wonders if we'll be traveling 
Uh, oh no, she's going to be traveling by plane this holiday season. I wonder what are our top two player games for an airplane? Top 10 list, maybe? Um, you know, this has come up several times and the voters have always shot this down, so I don't know if I'll ever do a top 10 list. And in all honesty, we don't tend to play games on planes because of our weird circumstance. We don't play games on vacation, really. We don't play games on trips. We don't play games out at restaurants the way we used to yes. because it's our job to play games. So, you know, <laughs> going out to dinner and going on holidays is a break from playing games. But, I mean, when we flew back from Essen, we did play a lot of Castles of Burgundy, the dice game, because we just picked it up at the show and it fit really well in the trays. But there's that one game that's always in the car. What's that with the little robots? The uh, Oddville Aeronauts. Yeah. Um, so we've got that in the car. We used to play it a lot when we were waiting for the ferry, but we haven't done that for a while. Well, we yeah. just don't go on the ferry very much anymore. Well, but even when we do, we don't play it out. I mean, we, we just... we play uh, Playing games is our job now. <laughs> I mean, it's I could almost go as so far as to say we don't play games for fun. We play them for work. And so, um, you know, we're not like most geeks, always looking to squeeze another game in somewhere. So we're in kind of an odd situation that way. But anyway, moving on. Matthew wants to know... And uh, sorry, it's already been asked and answered. Mentioned that Pandemic is was our gateway game. What came after? Do you continue with cooperative games, uh, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Oh, uh, Matthew, this has already been answered. Go check out a recent top ten I did called my top ten or Rado's first ten games. Just do a Google search for Rado's first ten games. You'll find a whole video that answers every one of the questions you've answered. So Matthew, you're done. And then Eddie, <laughs> last game-related question of the. Year, I guess, come to think of it. Yeah, because it's December 31st. It's December 31st. Recently got into the hobby. Bought Castles of Burgundy. We've enjoyed it. Uh, tried Agricola. But it got the Mayfair version, which has 200 less cards than the Z-Man version. Oh, no. Is that going to decrease replayability? I don't know. I don't know anything about the, uh, the, the re-release. I've tried to get Mayfair Lookout to give me a review copy so I could check it out. But as I mentioned in the past, for whatever reason, Mayfair Lookout, it's like pulling teeth to get them to send me review copies of anything. And I guess maybe because I've already done a video for Agricola, I just can't get them to send me one, and I've never sought it out because we've got the full version. So I don't really know. Here, My assumption would have to be that they are smart, that they know what they're doing, and if they took cards out of the original, it's to make the game better. It's to make the game a more uh, approachable, uh, you know, and I wouldn't worry about it because, hey, you know what, there are so many expansions you can get. I mean, there was the new um, Artifacts deck you could, we, we picked up at Essen this year. So I wouldn't sweat it. Don't, don't worry about it, Eddie. There's probably still tons of replayability in the game, but you know what, you're going to have to tell me because I've never seen it. And second question, do I know anywhere that sells expansions for Castles of Burgundy? No, but uh, Eddie, I'm not going to fish for you. I'm going to teach you how to fish. Go to BoardGameGeek, create an account, go do a search for Castles of Burgundy, go to the forum, ask the question there, and I guarantee you, you'll get at least 10 people answering your question with a ton of suggestions. I am not the best source of information for such things. You will get so much more. You'll get, I, go to the Agricola 2nd um, Edition forum and ask your question there. People will be able to help you out a lot more than me. Um, sorry I couldn't help, but happy holidays in response to Eddie's happy holidays. And that's it, folks. The last game-related questions of the year. And now I'm going to say thanks for listening, everybody. See you in the new year. More questions, questions at rado.com. But otherwise, have a very, very nice day. 
Talk to you later so long. Bye-bye. And now, if you hold on, we'll get to personal questions right after this. Okay, everybody, time for the personal Q&A, and starting with Rachel. Rachel. Well, we already snuck her Thanksgiving question into the (laughs) gaming-related. Oops. Sorry. But, yeah. Is there anything more to add about Thanksgiving, if we celebrate Thanksgiving? Oh, we did the first year we came here, because you had coworkers um, who were from the States, and so there was a big, remember there was that big... What, in England or here in Malta? No, in Malta. Really? Oh gosh, yes. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was. But that really was nice. a yeah. That had nothing to do with us. Yeah, you know, it was somebody who had organized it and invited us along, and yeah, I had a um, temperature gauge that would cook. You know, you could stick into the turkey. I so, forgot all about that. Uh, we were quite welcome. I brought the temperature thingy. Yes, you saved the day, <laughs> honey pie. Well done. Um, By owned temperature gauge. <laughs> and but yeah, as a general rule, I don't know. I mean. Are you really big on Thanksgiving? It's I've never really well, seen the point of it. I think it's good as a as a, just a reminder to be thankful. Sure, for things, yes, a course. symbolic gesture thing. But the actual, let's get together and have a whole bunch of food and get stuffed and watch football and oh yeah, the football thing. <laughs> but in my family, because my parents were divorced, um, Dad always had us for Thanksgiving, and Mom mm. always had us for Christmas. So mm. to me, Thanksgiving is an important holiday in that. You know, I always got to spend time with Dad and Nance in later years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, and we used to have big family get-togethers when um, we lived in the States where we'd always go back to the old hometown for Thanksgiving. Um, but since we've moved to England, it's become less and less of, a, of an event. Indeed. Indeed. Rachel's other personal question, what goes into pricing a piece of your glass for sale? Oh, my goodness. The pieces on Etsy are beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, mainly, now justify it, Yeah, says Rachel. Okay. Actually, I read a very interesting quote the other day from another artist, and she said, next time somebody asks you, um, you know, how long it takes you to make a piece, tell them the amount of time you actually spend at the torch plus how many years you've spent uh-huh. <laughs> becoming a decent, you know, lamp worker or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that is really interesting because, of course, something that would have taken me uh, 30 minutes to make three years ago maybe only takes me 20 minutes now mm-hmm. to make, but it's also gotten better as far as the detail level or the finish level or whatever. So uh, it's really hard for me to say. Um, I do try and keep track of the time. That gives me kind of a baseline idea of, of how long. Well, yeah, I mean, correct me wrong. You just basically decided what your personal salary is. Yeah. And, um, um, and then you include your cost of goods, right? That's pretty much it. It yeah. also is the complication level. Mm-hmm. And also, if it's if I'm making something custom for somebody, or if it's something I'm making as part of um, one of the designs I've already made, because quite often people will ask me to make something that's that's absolutely brand new, and the amount of development time that comes from creating a new design is actually pretty significant. And um, so, yeah, I, I guess it just depends on a lot of factors, but certainly the amount of time it that I sit down at the torch is a starting point for me figuring it out. Right. Okay. Jordan wonders, where do we see ourselves in five years? Is the goal to continue Rotter runs through as long as possible? I know Malta isn't the end all, but do you have concrete plans for leaving? Hmm. We have had some very big, serious discussions lately 
um, because our tenant in England left. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were thinking about maybe moving back to England sooner than later. But um, after doing a lot of discussing, we have actually decided to stay in Malta for, um, I don't know that we've actually got a five-year timeline on it, but for at least another couple of years. Um, what, do you have anything to add to that? No. Oh, okay. So I would say, yeah, we really like our flat. We're happy here. We're comfortable here. Well, he didn't say two years. He said five years. Oh. Um, Where will you be, lady? <laughs> here, there, everywhere? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I, I have no idea if I'll be doing Rotor Runs in five years. If I am, I imagine it'll be in a different form than it is today because what I'm doing today isn't sustainable. But beyond that, I, I couldn't really say. I'll worry about it closer to April of next year when we get closer to the, hey, it's been another year. Finished my obligations. Time to decide if I'm going to once again sign up for another year by doing another fundraising campaign kind of a thing. So we'll see. We'll see. Thomas wonders. All right. Yes, I remember. Uh, Thomas wonders <laughs> if we would be willing to take the time to answer the famous Questionnaire du Marcel Proust, or Proust, which is apparently, it's one of those, hey, look, here's 16 questions that everybody answers about themselves. It's literally 16 questions. Your favorite virtue, your favorite qualities in a man and a woman, uh, what you appreciate most in your friends, your main fruit, your favorite occupation, your idea of happiness, your idea of misery. If not yourself, who would you be? Where would you like to live? What favorite color and flower what favorite prose offers um your favorite poets your favorite heroes in fiction and heroines in fiction and your favorite painters and composers you know just your standard first date questions tell you what thomas we'll come back to you at the end uh unless you just want to jump into it right now that sounds like a good ender that we'll just try and muddle through off the top of our head (laughs) okay Uh, because actually the thing is uh, there were very few personal questions this month so you picked a good month to dump this crazy questionnaire on us thomas we'll come back to it in a second and move on right now to daniel who wonders what are our thoughts on other non-star trek science fiction shows like oh farscape babylon 5 firefly Battlestar galactica what'd you just say travelers travelers well it's interesting i mean travelers is clearly we're, tra- we're watching travelers right now and loving it we're halfway through the second season it's amazing but he said sci-fi shows, but all he talked about was deep space stuff. Mm. So I'm assuming in his head he's talking about deep space stuff. Orville. <laughs> Orville. Jen's just so pleased with herself that she was actually able to I remember the name of a show. <laughs> <laughs> well done, any five. Thanks. If I could reach you across the couch, I'd give you a high five. Uh, well, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I'm sure. If, if it's a good show, we like it. Um, Farscape never tried. Babylon 5, literally the first episode, I fell asleep. That's never happened to me before or since with any show. And because of that, I just never picked up on it, never followed along. Wasn't that the one where they were in a... No, you won't remember it at all, Honeypie. There's no way. I mean, it's it's like from 15, 20 years ago. There's no way you're going to remember Babylon 5. We watched, like I said, we watched the first episode and I literally fell asleep and you weren't interested either. Um, Firefly, I loved. Firefly, that's what I'm thinking of. I don't know why Babylon and Firefly. What, what, together. what, what, what do you remember of Firefly? Uh, well, there was the three main characters on the, on the, on the ship. And wasn't there time travel involved? No. Okay, apparently I don't remember. No, you don't remember Firefly at all. Firefly, I loved. Jen watched the first episode and afterwards 
said, yeah, you know what? I don't need to watch this. Oh, apparently. Um, Maybe I'm thinking of something else then. And the, I, yes, I, I can't imagine what you're thinking about. The main three characters on this. Yes, you just described Inter- Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, Bones, <laughs> Three Spock main and characters and On a ship, travel. there's some time travel occasionally. <laughs> yeah, that's Star Trek. Yeah, it's a good it's a good. That's point. all the Star Treks. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I think I like it more than Jen. But the interesting thing is... I, you know, it's it's there's kind of this push towards kind of gritty realism, um, you know, the Expanse, which I've, I've absolutely loved too. I've watched both seasons of that; it's been absolutely fantastic. Jen watched Jen, I think, made it to like maybe the second or third episode of the Expanse. Said, "Yeah, you know what? I just can't watch this." Uh, Jen just pretty much dismisses out of hand anything that is dark, uh, anything that is grim, anything where the people aren't suffused in sunlight hmm. and happy-go-lucky problems. Jen, more, and you know, this has definitely been something that's been changing about her over the last 20 years. Uh, I mean, she, she really dug Battlestar Galactica, the, you know, the revamped Battlestar Galactica. I bet money, if it were launched today, Jen would watch the first, or the first couple episodes and say, yeah, you know what, I don't, think, I don't need to watch this. This is just too dark and depressing. This is too grim. Um, the people are too angry. Yeah, I just don't want to watch this. I, I, you know, I look back and I understand how she actually made it all the way through all of Galactica when it was such a unrelentingly... Like I said, grim show. Um, because yeah, I mean, Jen, she just complete. I'm, I'm so, I, she. I think she's just barely holding on with Discovery as well, which is also a, a very very dark show for Star Trek. Yeah, but they've got some some really good stuff in it as well. Yes, but I think really you're only watching it. If it if it weren't themed Star Trek, you wouldn't watch it. I doubt you would. I, I'm sure you would have said, "Ooh, yeah." These, these big, oh, this is a really nasty war. Oh, my gosh, this is really hard stuff. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, look at what they're doing. You know, the, the gray morality areas of, you know, the, you know, what it takes to, you know, the, I can't think of the term for. The traveling well, thing? No, the, what, what, what's, the, the needs, the ends justify the means. Oh, my gosh, this is too dark for me. And if it wasn't Star Trek, I doubt, I'd, I'd, I'd be relatively confident Jen would not have continued watching the show. Am I wrong? I don't know. It's Trek, so, you know. Yes, but if it, it was It has a plus 10 already. <laughs> if, if it were Orville, if, if Star Trek Discovery were basically Orville, and Star Trek <laughs> and, and Orville were basically Star Trek Discovery, you know, in that, the, oh, the dark, you know, mature, gritty one was, uh, you know, was about... Was unknown? Yeah. Unknown characters? I don't know, Honey Pie. It's hard. <laughs> I'm sorry, Daniel. You're not getting answers to your questions here. Jen cannot answer. There's just there's a lot of. It might just also be there's the pendulum is swinging at the moment with Brexit and Trump, and mm-hmm. I feel like my hope reserves need protecting. <laughs> so adding a bunch of dark stuff to my life doesn't seem to make the most sense right now. I might have been more open or amenable to it. Um, if, Obama was still in office or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I felt like everything was fine Mm -hmm. in the world and I could indulge in imaginary darkness. Mm, There's There's too much real darkness to indulge in imaginary darkness. That is an interesting way to put it. Okay. I'll buy that for a dollar. Um, I don't think that was the answer you were looking for, Daniel, but hopefully that was something. But yeah. Um, Oh, and Jen really likes time travel. Although then the other weird thing... You know, this new season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm loving it. It's absolutely fantastic. Jen yeah. gets two episodes in and said, you know what? After five seasons, I think I'm done with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. You can watch this without me. And I'm like, what? 
that? I still don't understand that. Yeah. Well, okay, so we were watching um, Dirk Gently. I, and she I, watched the first season of that, yeah, and then we I watched the first through. episode of the second season and said, yeah, I am done. I am out. This show, I refuse. I can't stand it. All right, you know, not, not that. Not I just bad. can't. I can't. It's just like, you know, you're making me work too hard. I'm here for entertainment value, and you're throwing a bunch of stuff at me. I don't understand it. I don't have the patience to wade through a whole season for it to all be explained. I'm just, I got other things to do. I got books to read. I, this is not where I want to put my mental energy. And trying to remember all of the nuances and stuff throughout a, a season, I just can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. And that, and so then the new Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started out with that same thing. And I'm like, what? You what? know, basically all I know are some characters. I have some familiar characters and that's all I get. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, too much work. But which, you, which do you like more, Orville or Discovery? Discovery. Yeah. Really? Yes, of course. But it doesn't. It Orville fills your hope reserve uh, in a way that Discovery definitively does not. Orville's also a bit silly, goofy, kind of stupid as well. But <laughs> it's nice. It's a nice, light little something that I can watch before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like it. I like. Oh, sure. I mean, I like Orville, too. Okay. And just the same way I like Next Generation. I mean, if anything, Orville is really amazing to me. It reminds me of everything. I mean, everybody, you know, for uh, it seems like the majority of pop culture, Next Generation defines what Star Trek is. And so that's tougher for an old dude like me who original series defines what Trek is. And Orville kind of points out all the staid wooden cliches of Next Gen and just reproduces them to a T with loving attention and detail. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I, I, I get it. They love it. They, you know, they're, they're paying homage to it. And, um, yeah, it's what I didn't like. It's, it's what I didn't like that Next Generation did to Trek. But still, it doesn't mean I don't like it. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're charming and pleasant. And it's sometimes the, sometimes the, I mean, the laughs are always, oh, well, that's silly. But I, I don't mind the laughs. Um, you yeah. But I am surprised. You so you. But again, can you say why you like Discovery over Orville? Is it just because it's Trek? Um, Daisy, well, no. I've already told in another podcast what I didn't like about Discovery. Mm-hmm. So that still holds true. But I like. I, I like the idea of people working together for a common good. Mm-hmm. And that is still certainly going on with the Federation. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And, and it's going on with Orville, too. It's just Orville's goofy about it, and um, Discovery isn't. So do you think you would... Uh, what would you think if, we, if I said, Hey, honey, there's this new show called Battlestar Galactica. How do you think you'd respond to it now, if you remember it? I do remember it. I, I, and there's a, there was a lot of darkness in that, but there was also some very interesting just interpersonal stuff that I thought was really good in mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica. I, if you wanted to watch it, I'm sure I would be delighted to do it again. I don't know that I'd go out and seek it. Mm-hmm. Of course I don't. You, For 20 years you've provided all my <laughs> entertainment filtering, so that's fine. Um, I think I'd watch it again. Okay. I thought it was really interesting. Okay. Let's see here. Next up, we have... Um, Barbazil, looking for his real name. He didn't put his real name in here, just his email name. So Barbazil wonders, having lived in Europe for so long, have we adopted the metric system in our daily life? 
or do we still use the weird U.S. system? <laughs> um, mostly U.S. still. Yeah, I know. I try. I mean, I really, I'm ashamed of it. I wish I didn't, but I can't. Oh, I mean, like we, we've been here. Fine. How long have we been here now? We've been here for 12 years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I still can't think in terms of Celsius. Oh, I can. I can, okay, so Jen, but you, but you don't think of it first and foremost. No, no, I still convert. You still have to make the conversion in your head. Every time somebody says it's 30 degrees, you have to think, okay, what is that really? Yeah. Well, or it, it hasn't gotten to the point where you just know what it is. You have to think, I have to, if they say it's 30 degrees, I have to write, okay, double it, now add 32. Okay, I've got it. I have to actually do the equation. Mm. Do you have to do the equation? Well, Not that that's an official equation, it's just kind of a rough fact. Well, if, if it's 20, I mean, I know 20 is 70. Okay. So, that's so you just remembered quick, a few key... Yeah. Right. And then like centimeters, 24 inches is 60 centimeters. But if we're out for a walk and I asked Honey, what, what, what temperature do you think it is right now? You'd still think I would Fahrenheit. not say 20 degrees Celsius. Yeah, you'd, you'd still think in terms of Fahrenheit. So oh, it feels 72. like 50, 60 degrees. Yeah. yeah. And any European would say, oh my God, it's the surface of the sun. You're melting. <laughs> yes, you must be in Dubai. Um, yeah. And I, for the life of me, can never remember... Uh, kilograms. kilograms and kilometers. I always have to write. Is this? Uh, is it half a mile? Is it? You know, I, I just can't. I wish I could. I wish because it's weird. Back in the seventies, there was mm. a a federal level, national level. Right, we're switching over to the metric system. Yeah, I think that was program. in second grade. Uh, but the problem was they didn't make it mandatory. They made it optional. So pretty much the entire country just said, oh, yeah, that's fine. Thanks. We're just going to ignore you. If they had just bitten the bullet, there w- our generation would have, it would have taken us like two or three months mm-hmm. and just you know, switched over. I mean, they started putting kilometer signs up everywhere and all of that. But, then, but again, it was optional, so it had no teeth, and it just didn't take. And so now us and a few other countries are just out of sync with the rest of the world. I, and, but, you know, I mean, we've, we, like I said, we've been here for 12 years. But I've been alive for coming up on 50 years. <laughs> so that's a, that's a lot of hard habits to break. Yep. Sorry to say. Man, I, I, I wish I could reprogram myself. Just cannot do it. All right, Honey Pie, that was it. So we're back to Thomas's. The, oh, okay. the Marcel Proust questionnaire. Honey Pie, what is your favorite virtue? Hmm, virtue. That's easy. Empathy. That's a very good one. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have said it because now you're just going to go with mine. Come up with your own! Unless it is truly your favorite virtue. Well, I'm just running through all of the virtues in my mind. Okay. And... Everybody at home, play along oh, so you gosh. can uh, not be bored while Jen uh, pontificates. <laughs> oh, or gosh. fails to pontificate. Yes. I'm just, just... Gonna... Yeah, empathy's good. <laughs> all right, well, that's the last time I answer first then. Honey, <laughs> what is your favorite quality in a man? And then separately, you're supposed to answer, what is your favorite quality in a woman? Okay, I'm going to say reliability. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buck the... Tr- I'm, I'm going to say I refuse to answer um, because... I'm no, I, I, oh. I do not subscribe to the, well, men and women should have different virtues. That's a good thing. Yeah, I, I, you can ask, what are my favorite qualities in a person? I'm fine with answering that um, because, yeah. Uh, so, favorite qualities in a person... You just, what did you say? Reliability. Yeah, reliability. That's and, a good one. And that one is like that when somebody says they're going to do something, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that they're true to their word. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to say empathetic. I mean, to me, that's the single most important human qu- quality of humanity is empathy. Um, and actually, reliability 
is, I mean, you, being an empathetic person makes you a more reliable person because you understand the hardship you will create on others if you fail to be reliable for them. Mm. I mean, everything comes back to that. It's like the single most important virtue and or quality. Yeah, this is a weird... Virtue and qualities are the same. Or Oh, I guess the, my favorite virtue for myself as opposed to my favorite quality I see in others. Still, it's empathy for all of it. Right. Uh, unless you've got something more to add to that. No, I'm thinking that like, what's your favorite? What's the most important thing in a in your in a best friend or a you know your spouse? That quality. I mean, that could be a different thing, maybe. But like, you know, what's? I don't know. I have a sense no, of humor. Actually, still, I mean, both sense of those. Of I'm still going to come back to empathy. Comes up. Nothing. A really Beat important. It. I know. I'm just saying. And if you're going to spend time with people, what's a really important quality other than say empathy or reliability? And probably sense of humor would be. A compatible sense of humor mm-hmm. might be. So know. is that in a man or a woman that you value sense of humor above all? Or do you want again, to try and break no, it down to man I don't, or woman? I don't. I want to do. Both. Yeah, I, I think that's a little. I think this is this questionnaire is a little outdated, and it's time to combine number two and number three. Yeah. Number four. What do you appreciate the most in your friends? Oh bloody hell! I'm going to say sense of humor. Then <laughs> I don't know reliability. Probably. I'm going to say empathy. <laughs> I want them to understand what I'm going through. And I want them to understand what other human beings are going through. Um, all right. What is your main fault? Oh. Uh, overthinking, probably, and getting all mired in the details in my head and getting all just uh, wrapped up in too much minutia that all of you know, doesn't matter. Mm. All of it doesn't matter in the end, and I should just stop it. Good one. What do you call that? To wrapped up in your headism. Uh, I guess so. Uh, yeah, well, it interferes with I empathy can't. because I'm too busy thinking about all my stupid minutia. Hmm. So there. What is my main fault that I think? I'm, I'm inclined to say laziness. Or, um, no, that's not right. Lack of ambition, probably. Uh, I'll go with that. Um, honey, what is your favorite occupation? Is that for me or in general? It's for both of us. This is the question Thomas has asked. Well, I know, but are we saying what, the, what's the most important occupation in the whole world? Your favorite occupation? Farmers. Okay. Teachers. Okay. Both good. All right. I, I don't think, I think, I think it was supposed to be for us. I mean, what job do you want the most? Oh. But. Artist then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> retired. <laughs> Rich uh-huh. patron. I want to be a professional patron. How about that? Oh, you can be my something patron. right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. What is your idea of happiness? Oh. My idea of happiness is balance. Balance. So, yep. Yeah, having a bit of all the things I love the most. Okay. Not not being too much of any one thing. Okay. My idea of happiness is lack of responsibility. Um, your idea of misery. Traffic. <laughs> yeah, I just, the more I'm in traffic, the less I, I just think this is, we're, we're not going anywhere good in this situation. Okay. Nobody is happy ever in traffic. That right. is just a mass drain of everybody's energy and goodwill and, oh, um, my idea of misery is having to deal with the negativity of others. 
Um, if not yourself, who would you be? <laughs> and don't ask me. This is not my that. questionnaire. <laughs> Let me look up, see what like some standard answers are for this oh while you God. try and calm the dogs down since they're starting to go a bit crazy. Mm. What is this questionnaire? Is that, is that who do you admire? Who, um, who would you like to Proust. emulate? Proust. Proust. Uh, the Proust questionnaire. Hey, here it is in Vanity Fair. And um, here's Wikipedia. All right, so Wikipedia. Tell me how we're supposed to answer these things. Because, all right, your idea of happiness, your idea of misery. Okay, okay, here's... There, apparently you can do this as confession questions or confidence questions. So there's an alternate way to word it. Um, So you could word it, if not yourself, who would you be? You could also say, what I should like to be. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, there's a lady on Sicily who does an amazing thing with her, her life, and it's rescuing dogs. The, she and her husband are retired. Um, she takes in these dogs. She heals them, gives them medical care, finds home for them, doesn't ask anything in return. Uh, she's just incredibly generous and an amazing person. And if I could be somebody, I think that would be a great person to be. Mm-hmm. That's good. Let's see. Who I would like to be would be somebody with the courage of my convictions, somebody who is willing to step up and do what needs to be done to make humanity better. I mean, I would like to be somebody who has the strength of character to actually become a politician and try to work for the betterment of mankind. I, I, would, I would like to be able to do that, but I know I'm too lazy for it, which gets back to my earlier main fault. Let's see. Where would you like to live? That's a bit more down to earth. Mm. Although maybe we're supposed to do that in some kind of flowery, mm. symbolic way, too. No. Well, I've heard amazing things about New Zealand. Yeah, of course. So it's, I was just going to say New Zealand. Answer. It's a no-brainer. Easy peasy. What is your favorite color and flower? <laughs> maybe these are all supposed to be fairly... I mean, that seems like, pretty... Yeah. Well, purple. And my favorite flower... Green. ...is going to be... Um, Why are you even thinking about this? You've told so me for years flowers. what your favorite flower is. And what do you think my favorite flower is? Tulips. Those are, that's a good choice. Yes. I think I, I really like scented geraniums. The leaves smell wonderful. And those aren't flower. flowers. Those are plants. Well, but they've, they've got flowers on them. All right. They're just also known for their scented leaves. I'm going to say green and sunflowers. Let's see. Who is your favorite prose authors? And you get to have multiples for this one. Your favorite authors. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I read a lot of different authors. Too many. Well, what was your first author you can think of? Is your favorite? Jane Austen. Jane Austen. Okay. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say... You're going to say... Torn. Torn, the Owen Meany guy. That's John Irving. Uh, or John Irving or maybe John Steinbeck or Ken Kesey or... Or Garth Ennis, probably something like that. Daisy, go around. She says, I want to run right. through your Daisy wires. Daisy is desperately trying to move forward and knock the camera off by pulling on all her microphone cables. I have finally determined she's now gone the other way, oh. but uh-oh. They're about to start rambunctioning up. All right, so we've done prose authors. Um, our favorite poets. Honey, who's your favorite poet? Shel Silverstein. Okay. I'm going to say... Dr. Seuss. Those are my two favorites. How about that? I'm going to say, um, 
uh, Lennon and McCarthy. Because, of course, you can do yep. songwriters. Those are poems. And uh, your favorite heroes in fiction. Um, Come on, it's easy. It's so easy for you. <laughs> Wonder Woman, my favorite hero. I don't know, in fiction? Yes, your favorite hero. And it has to be male, because the second one is heroines. So your favorite hero in fiction. Your favorite heroes. Come on, you know the answer. Search your feelings, you know it to be true. <laughs> okay, apparently you know the answer. Initials are JB. Occupation is president. Jeb Bartlett. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah. Of course he's your favorite hero of all time. He's good. He's very good. Well, actually, um, at the moment, uh, President... <laughs> uh, what are we watching with the president show? Designated president Survivor? Jack Bauer. Yeah, that's JB as well. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. Either one of those guys. Those yeah. are good guys. All right. Um, I'm going to say Captain Kirk. Your favorite heroine. Don't have a favorite, huh? Um, I'm trying to think back to like books I read as a kid or whatever. There was Charlotte and Charlotte's Web. She was a good heroine. All right, good answer. We're supposed to have multiples, by the way, because these are, were, these were plurals. Everything else has been singular, but this one we're supposed to have. Mm. We're supposed to roll trippingly off our tongue. Mm. Let's see. Okay, I think of any heroes: Kirk and Spock and Bell. You know, the whole cast of Star Trek. Everything I know I learned from Star Trek in the 70s as a young boy. Um, let's see. I also watched a lot of Kung Fu. So uh, Kane, Wandering the Earth. That was always a big impact. And uh, I like Spider-Man. And heroines. Favorite female heroes. Um, let's see. That is tougher because, of course, our culture yeah, has about doesn't one put in forward ten. as many uh, female heroes. One in 20, maybe. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, so you can always just go with Ripley and Sarah Connor. Um, hey, what do you know? Roles that were originally written for a man. Go figure. Uh, um, well, in the case of Ripley. But let's see. Greatest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all the female leads are like Disney princesses and stuff. So you could say Moana and um, and Elsa if you want, or you know, or or Belle, or yeah, that's tough. Which you know, Daisy. I, I say Daisy. Daisy, yeah, from Agents of Shield. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, your um, favorite painters and composers. This is obviously from a long time ago. Oh yeah. Um, Back when people concerned themselves. Yeah. Favorite painter, Honey Pie. I like yes, that. Yes, this was, this was originally from uh, 1890, apparently. <clears throat> yes. Um, I, I like the classical painters like Monet. It's lovely. <laughs> um, and composers. I guess if we're talking about classical music. Um, oh, just, yeah, like classical music? It's I'm just going to say Lennon and Cartney again. Hey. I'll add Harrison in as well. <laughs> And star, sure. Kim Jong-un, yeah. Um, yeah, painters. I mean, I could probably list my favorite board game artists. Oh, 
there you go. Uh, or comic book artists. Someday, uh, you know, um, probably the Miko these days. And, oh, man. Yeah, stuff. Sorry. I, I'm sorry. I feel, I feel that we, uh, we started strong, Honey Pie, but we are now failing Thomas's test. What a way to end the year. Mm. Just stumbling through, I don't know, what strong female heroes are there? Gosh. That's tough. I feel bad. Probably should have done some prep work for this one. But prep work is not the right away. And that's <laughs> it, folks. I think we're done. Thanks for listening um, to another year of Rotto Talks. Actually, I should say that at the end of April because this goes from April to April. So the year is not over yet. No. Even though 2017 is. As always, more questions to questionsatrotto.com. Next month, we'll be back. We'll be doing... Um, oh, just I think next month, we'll finally be back to normal. Hooray! Well, this was actually a fairly normal podcast as well. So nothing more to say other than questions to questions at raw.com. And otherwise, have a very, very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. And happy 2018. Bye-bye.